Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the irredeemable shag from firestormfan.com. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.com. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Shag. Are, are you as excited about doing this as I am? I am very excited about doing this. It's, it's funny. I have gone back and forth on whether I think this is a great issue or like a terrible issue. I don't, I, I don't know there why. There are no terrible issues of who's who. What's the matter with you? You're absolutely right. Let me put that in context. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I rate it by the characters involved. It's like this issue has a lot of great entries, a lot of great art, a lot of great backstory. And it's like, oh, but are any of these like my there's, – there's no firestorm in the letter C. You know, it's like – but. But man, there's so much good stuff in here. It's it's crazy. So, folks, I, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sure DC was thrilled that they in this block of letters they mentioned it's Cyborg in there because other than that, I don't know who they'd be stuck with as their main character. Oh, uh, well, I know exactly who they'd be stuck with, and I'll mention that in just a minute. Claw the Unconquered. <laughs> Claw the Unconquered. How, how did you guess? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, folks, we are here to talk about another issue of Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe. Uh, this time around, we're going to be covering issue number five. Um, and now this is part of that 26-issue series that celebrated the 50th anniversary of DC Comics. This was running parallel to uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. And by the way, Rob, I don't know if you noticed, this is the first issue that, uh, at least I believe, unless I forgot something, that gives us a direct mention of uh, the impact of Crisis. So I, uh, I don't. Th- I, I'm sure I noticed it at the time. I don't know what you're referring to now, but we'll get to it. Well, I mean, I don't remember it from previous issues. Okay, so, right. Uh, it's an alphabetical listing. It's got this great cover jam we'll talk about in a second. Uh, in there, you get personal data, history, powers of weapons, etc. Um, well, we'll talk about all that in a minute. Anyway, uh, the, the goal here, folks, is that you don't have, the, have to have the issue in front of you. We're going to blow through this, and hopefully, if all goes well, you'll be able to drive your car you know, without flipping through your comic book and getting a car wreck. But <laughs> if you have the time, pop out your issue, flip through it with us, and uh, feel free to argue with your iPod. So. Absolutely. Um, yes? Um, well, I forgot. You don't have the list I have in front of me, do you? Okay. <laughs> um, Rob, why don't you tell them a little bit uh, – I'm going to vamp for a second because I'm going to go grab something. Why don't you tell them for a split second about our Tumblr site where people can see more of these entries? Oh, yes. Uh, well, we have, the, we have the, our Tumblr site, which is uh, fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com, where we post some random images from every issue of Who's Who. We don't post the whole book because we want you to – Go out and maybe buy these uh, on the uh, black market or whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we post like I don't know like our favorite eight or nine or, or maybe not even favorite but just significant ones so you can get a, just a general flavor of the of the issue. The ones we either chat the most about like there's certain ones that like going in we never think would be a big deal but Rob and I end up talking for like 15 minutes right. about cal- Calendar Man <laughs> or something right. you know. So anyway, um, well you know what let's let's talk about this one. 
This is a this is a really really cool cover. Um, this is as I said, Who's Who number five. It's cover dated July 1985. So set your wayback machines, folks, to April 18th. 1985. That's the date this sucker actually hit the stands, and thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. Yes, it was morning in America. Um, the uh, wraparound cover is by George Perez and Dick Giordano, as were the previous, I think, last two covers. Um, as Shag mentioned, it's a, you know, and all the Who's Who covers are jam covers, so you've got all the characters interacting. Um, down in the bottom right, you see a giant pile of sludge, which is Clayface 2. Um, you see, <laughs> you've got... Um, in the background behind him, you see the other clay faces hanging out with Killer Croc. And for some reason, um, Cimarron. I don't know why she's standing there with them, but, but she is. Um, the main character... What, what, what did you just call her? What? You called her Cimarron? Oh, C- Cinnamon. I'm sorry. I was thinking there's a Western film called Cimarron. Wouldn't you just call it Cinnamon? Cinnamon. Cinnamon. That's how I say it. Okay, Cinnamon. She's spicy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, the main character, as usual, there's always one character who's sort of given the prominence in terms of, of the cover placement, uh, and that to this time around is Cyborg, who was a member of the New Teen Titans, and which was you know one of DC's biggest selling books, so it makes total sense. And of course, he was drawn by George Perez, who you know probably couldn't help but give him a little bit of uh, favored spots because well, he cre- created the he character. created the character. So now here's where. Uh, I answer the question you just said a second ago. You're not sure who would be the primary character in this book. It is the person who has secondary prominence on this side, on this side of the cover, which is Cosmic Boy, because at the time, the DC's two biggest comics were the New Teen Titans and the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. It probably would have been, and he was, you know, one of like the eternal members of the Legion. So, exactly. Um, right behind uh, Cosmic Boy, you see um, composite Superman who. If I remember correctly, I don't have the physical comic in front of me. I have the, the scan of it. It is um, where he divides between Superman and Batman. It's right where the staple is. Yes, it, and that was the clever thing. Is <laughs> if, you, if you're looking at the front of the comic, it looks like it's a green-faced Batman. If you're looking at the back of the comic, it looks like a green-faced that's, Superman. That's great. That's it's, great. It, they put it right at the fold, which is well done. <laughs> that's great. Um, in the background, you see uh, Colossal Boy, who is sort of acting as a tree for a lot of the characters there. <laughs> um, I, for some reason, uh, you have Congo Bill looking really irritated. He's hanging off of Cosmic uh, Colossal Boy's uh, bicep there. He looks really mad. I don't know exactly well, what I think what's going on there is one of the things with Congo Bill is him and the Golden Gorilla actually mentally switch places. Oh, so the so Golden. He's, he's, I th- he's the Gorilla. Yeah, he's. he's Kong Gorilla, the gorilla's up on uh, by the ear of Colossal Boy, and then hanging off of him was Congo Bill, but I think their oh, brains have swapped yeah, places. Yeah, you're right, because he's doing kind of like a kind of gorilla yep. thing. Oh, good, good call. You, sh- you know. should just get used to saying you're right, because you've said it a couple times now. Good for you. Um, <laughs> I love in the in the foreground, you've got Kronos and Clock King sort of contemplating each other. <laughs> That's a really nice one. And there's a, there's a parallel towards the back on Colossal Boy's hand. You get the Color Kid and Crazy Quilt together. So sort of a, they're both, you know, the two front ones are time, the two back ones are color. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of great interactions there. And then in the bottom corner, you've got um, Copperhead trying to put the moves on Medusa from the uh, Creature Commandos, which is great. <laughs> yep. He, he would find her attractive. Um and then you see oh, up in the top right, you see the uh, – not top right, top left. You see um, the crime syndicate uh, running around. And then you have Colonel – I think what is it? Colonel Future? Yeah, Colonel, yep. Colonel yep. Future. Uh, I guess he had the power to teleport. And you see him partly teleporting in the upper left, and then he's reappearing at the uh, mid-right, which is a gr- another great little detail. 
I, I really dig one of my favorite things on this is Count Vertigo. Yes. On, the, on the backside, Count Vertigo is actually perpendicular to everyone else. He's, he's at a 90 degree angle from everyone else walking sideways. And it just, Count Vertigo is one of the coolest looking characters. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it. These covers are always fun. Perez was like the perfect guy to, to do them because I think he almost knew these characters inherently. So he just knew how they would interact. It's, it's a lot. Oh, and then one other thing in the, you see on the top, you see the character Computo getting into a giant fight with Commander Steel, which no one else seems to be helping him, interestingly enough. Well, there's reasons. I mean, they, they know what he's eventually going to become. So. <laughs> Cranky old man. I do like how the, the, the crime syndicate pose is is sort of like a, I don't know, I can't promise that it's a, a, a Jose Garcia Lopez JLA pose, but it sure looks like some of the stock art for superpower stuff featuring the JLA. Bit, yeah. Yeah, I see. Yeah. He's got that little bit of a little bit of that style to it, but so I didn't know if that was sort of on purpose using the other characters, but yeah. that's the, that's the sense I got. Yeah, it's it's, it's as usual. It's a great cover, and these yeah. things are always so much fun. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting, and this is just from the cover. I noticed uh, one of the characters we're going to cover here is Killer Croc, but it's back when he was just called Croc. So that's for one of the, that jumped out at me on the cover. I'm like, who's Croc? <laughs> then I had to I had to put the killer in it. I'm like, oh wow, that should be in the K. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um so anyway, I guess this will we should move on. This is the um, the inside cover features letters. This is the first issue that features any sort of extensive letters. There's a previous issue that had I think one letter. But here we've got a couple going on. Um there's a letter from Delmo Walters Jr., who was like a big comic book letter writer at the time. I remember seeing Oh, was he was he a letter hack? I was wondering yeah. if any of these oh, guys yeah. were letter hacks. I saw his okay. all the time. And he, t- he mentions Jerry Wardway doing uh, his craft tent work on uh, the Black Pirate, talking about, was it zip tone is it craft tent? Yeah, that whole thing. Um, another letter, Frank Travelin from Jersey City. Jersey represent. Uh, sure, it takes, sure it takes DC to task for not giving Batman a lot of space. And he says, the result is that Big Sur has a better presentation than DC's second greatest hero. <laughs> and he also mentions, uh, is Husu going to give listings to supporting characters, like Alfred, Lois, Jimmy, Commissioner Gordon? And the answer is, basically, we're going to do that for some of them. Um, we're not going to do it for all, because then, he says, our projected 24 volumes would run to 36. So... <laughs> um, but, you know, and later on they said we get to Lois Lane because Lois Lane deserves her own listing. I mean, yes, she does. She had her own book for you know, 20 years. And then there's a final letter from Derek Furman who asks, um, are you guys going to mention if the first appearance of your character is comes from another publisher? And and when are you going to give dates for first appearances? And the Woo! Answer, the that, was my, that was my request as well, <laughs> folks, is that first appearance, just listing the issue is enough. You, you should say the year, like month and year. Right, and the answer is, should we ultimately do revisions or updates of who's who, we will consider adding dates of the first appearance category. On the other which, hand, they, which, which they actually did. Yes. On the other hand, we do not feel as important whether or not a character was created elsewhere. They are all DC characters now, and that's all that should matter. <laughs> so that puts the, it puts the end period on that sentence. Um, of course, uh, there would be a slight coda to that when we get to the character known as Thunderbolt, but that's a ways away. Now, I will mention one of the other things in, in Delmo's letter that I thought was interesting is they do actually talk about how the artists are selected for these. Cause oh, that's you know, right. That's right. You and I have sort of wondered and hypothesized how um, the artists, certain artists get selected. And what they mentioned is they actually have like a sign-up sheet um, the, of people who they can, like they volunteer and say, I want to draw this issue, this character. So they either reference um, that sort of volunteer sheet or the artists most uh, closely associated with the character. 
such as and, – and you'll hear in this issue a guy named Trevor Von Eden and uh, Count Vertigo. He's, he's really well identified with that character. Right. So that's why they chose him. So – Right, and it says that if that artist isn't available, we then tune to our master list where we have taken down requests for various characters from Pencils Anchors. We grant as many requests as possible. It uh, comes down to our own personal taste. So far, the mill indicates we're doing it all right. I would have loved to have seen that list. That would have been a Oh, I list know. But that's got to be how John Byrne got the chief from Doom Patrol. Yes, that kind of thing. I assume so. so. There's probably some crazy requests on there that none of us would ever guess. Yep. <laughs> He's into him? Okay, interesting. Right, whatever. So, um... <laughs> And then there's a pronunciation glossary. They talk about that a little bit. We've got Kronos and Circe, which is Circe, uh, Computo, Congorilla, Croc, Cyborg, and the Cyclotron. So it's a, a brief pronunciation glossary this time around. Real quick, I just want to read through some of the names uh, behind the scenes. We don't. I don't think we say them off enough. You know, uh, Len Wein, Marv Wolfman, Robert Greenberger, they're all uh, at the top there. Len's a writer-editor. Marv's contributing writer, consulting editor. Robert Greenberg is associated. So these guys are all behind-the-scenes people. You've got Todd Klein and Paul Levitz contributing into the writing. Paul Sanderson and E. Nelson Bridewell are doing some of the research. Um, Tom Zucchio is a colorist. Brenda Pope, I think we mentioned her as a proofreader. proofreader. Neither, neither one of us would have wanted her job. Who later went um, insane, I believe. Right. Uh, Neil Posner is the design director who's yes. responsible for those yellow dots. Yes, thank you, Neil. Thank you, so. Neil. <laughs> Um, All right, let's do this. Let's get started. So anyway, the first listing is Kronos, drawn by Gil Kane. Uh, Not a lot to say about Kronos, as you can tell, because he gets a gargantuan piece of artwork and just a little bit of a listing. So um, his pose is kind of weird. He's sort of hunched over. Um, Maybe it's to hide his ridiculous costume a little bit. Aww. uh, (laughs) That is a ridiculous outfit. Come on. I mean, green green and yellow. He's got a little, uh, little arrow uh, designs on his gloves, and then he's got the black and white striped pants with red underpants. I mean, that is it, this is just one ridiculous costume. It does look like he assembled his costume at Goodwill. Yeah. <laughs> he's thr- thrown it together from various, you know, hey, wait a minute. Oh, I could use this. I could use this. Oh, look at this. I found a, a chess symbol with a clock on it. That's perfect. Right. The, I love, an, hour, an hourglass. An hour, I like the mask, though. I, I do like the, the mask. The mask is pretty cool. Yeah. But, Go ahead. No, I like... um. Uh, eyes blue, hair black, but balding. <laughs> you know, it's funny. His name's David Clinton. And when I read that, because that's, that's literally the first words on the first entry, alter ego David Clinton. And it jumped out at me. I'm like, I have never heard that name in my life. Like, you know, a lot of a lot of classic rogues, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, Leonard Snart or <laughs> you know, just all these all these different rogues that you know, you know, uh, Har- was it Dirk Harkness? I think it's his name. You know, all these different ones. And that one, I'm like, never heard that one ever. Wow. Jeez. So it's just kind of surprising that such a well-known villain, I don't remember him ever being there. Yeah, it's uh, not a distinctive name. It doesn't, you know, Leonard Snart sort of tells you something about the character. David right. Clinton, Glade Clinton is sort of a generic name. So. Yep. I will say that uh, this Gil Kane art is probably my favorite full Entry by Gil Kane yet okay. in the series. Okay. Um, there's certainly been pieces of different Gil Kane entries I've liked, like I've liked a back serpent or I've liked this or whatever. Um, but in this case, uh, I like this whole package. I think it's really nice. By the way, you know, we should mention real quick, uh, I know if, if this is your first time listening, the way the page is set up, you've got the front character, you've got the main character of the entry who's in color, full color, and the background is a single one color. And for example, in this one, it's just line work that's all in blue. 
Um, Rob has made up a word called serpent for, to refer to the art in the background. Um, just stating the facts, my friend. And then the entry lists, you know, their alter ego, occupation, marital status, known relatives, group affiliation, base of operations, et cetera, et cetera, first appearance. It goes in a big block of their history and a big block of their powers and weapons. So now, uh, you know, I, when I found interesting, I read through Cronus's entry, there's no mention of time travel in there. And in my mind, that's his shtick, is time travel, where in here, his shtick is just clockwork stuff. Mm. And uh, I guess somewhere along the lines, after Crisis, time travel kind of becomes his thing, or maybe it's just in the comics I've read, I'm not sure. I, I'm intrigued uh, by in the listing where it mentions at the end, it says he is currently serving another long term in prison. And it just uh, it just makes me think that you know in, in, in America as it is right now, you know in the modern day uh, prisons the prison system is big business you know but in the DCU it must be like Silicon Valley out there for prisons <laughs> you're just constantly building new prisons and bigger and more complicated ones to stop these guys from getting out it, the, the the prison system must just be like the the the, the single biggest economic driver in the DC in the DC universe oh jeez supermaxes. Exactly. Every state must have some supermax the size of an island because you're just constantly keeping all these bad guys from getting out, or more more accurately, not from getting out because they seem right. to be getting out all the time. Now, I've got a quick question since you know a lot of um, Silver Age art history and stuff. Uh, Gil Kane, Bob Kane, are they related? No. Okay. There we go. There thank, we go. thank God for that. Uh, all right. Gil Kane actually drew everything that he signed. Whoa! Uh, what? He did. Oh, come on. All right. All right. Next. Yes, let's move on. So, all right, here we go. We have Cinnamon, drawn by Brent Anderson. Now, we I'm a big fan of Brent Anderson. I mentioned that before. But we've kind of dinged him in previous episodes because his other listings were uh, Batgirl and Catwoman, which were not, like, his best work and not the best listings. This one's really great, though. I think he did a great job here of uh, this Western character who first appeared in Weird Western Tales, number 48, I believe. But uh, it's a very beautiful drawing. I mean, she's it's a beautiful character. I mean, you know, red-headed girl, so, you know, sold. And uh, <laughs> you've, she's got her tossing her uh, badge in the air that we see a nice close-up of her behind. And then in, in the bottom, we see her <laughs> throwing it at, uh, uh, using it as a sort of uh, Chinese star type thing, throwing it at, a, at some, some nasty guy inside of a bar, so... Um, it's a really nice drawing, and the logo is great too. I assume that was the work of Todd Klein. Um, it's a really kind of distinctive, old-timey, westerny logo. It's a, it's a really nice, nice piece all around. It definitely stands out. Um, yeah, and you know, we mentioned earlier his Batgirl. And show, I guess he's got a thing for redheads like us. So good on you, Brett. And um, now it kept itching in my back of my brain when we did previous podcast. Brett Anderson. I'm like, I just can't place it. And then it was a big slap to the forehead. He drew most of Astro City. That's right. That's right. So that's where I knew him from. But I, I, anyway, going, I have to concur with you. This drawing is phenomenal. I think this is great. I think uh, it's a wonderful drawing of Cinnamon. I actually, I, I've always kind of thought that this drawing helped keep her in the forefront of people's memory um, to the point where she, her later appearances, may, the, the who's who entry may have helped her oh, later so. on down the line. It, oh, I think it always helps any of these slightly more obscure characters. Yep. And uh, the in, you said she's been throwing it like a Chinese throwing star. She actually is. It's, uh, it says that her favorite weapon was a Japanese shuriken, uh, razor, razor edge throwing star that reminded her of her dad's sheriff's badge. Oh, that's so. Sweet. And then um, for those of you post-crisis folks, uh, Cinnamon is also you know later revealed to be the 
one of the reincarnated lot carnate easy for you to say carnated lives of uh Shiera, uh hawk girl uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure how down i am with that but okay you know well, we have to tie, right, well, do we have to tie everything together? You know, we, you know, geez. Well, we know that they were reincarnated, so I they know, but they kind of extrapolated and said they've been reincarnated uh, a lot. Okay, and um, she's a hot redhead, and I, I want to say Hawkman was Nighthawk or something. It all it made perfect sense. I, yeah, I know, and I, I know. I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. I'm just saying I, it would be nice if not every character was all tied into one another. But whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, well, comic books they've introduced this idea called continuity. See, it's new. It might be new to you. All right. Okay. You're the one who said we should be nicer to each other in shows. And now look at what you're doing. I said that. Yes, you did. You said it. Was I drunk? I don't. I don't know. Probably. Um, I think I said we should laugh at each other's jokes more. That's the same thing. Because I'm me laughing at your jokes. Me laughing at your jokes and me being nice to you. Um, (laughs) On a side note, Cinnamon is back in the new Fifty Two. She's been appearing in All Star Western. Fittingly enough. So yeah, this is great. Is she throwing shuriken? I don't think she – in the one issue I've seen, I'm a little behind on my reading on that book. Uh, I don't think she did. But this is a character I think should – with 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 all the sort of like more female-centric heroes they have now, th- this is a character I think ripe for getting her own series. Mm. I, I think this would be a perfect time, you know, to, to bring her back. I mean, All-Star Western I think is selling pretty well. So it maybe, is. you know. It's yeah. still around. I don't know how well it's selling, but it's it's still around. So I guess it's doing well it's, enough. It's selling better than Firestorm. Well, who is it? Um, so next is uh, Cersei, which is a Wonder Woman villain. It's drawn by Don Heck. Um, I, not a huge fan of uh, Don Heck's superhero work, um, which is, I think, true with a lot of people. I think he's a fine artist, but just – or maybe his later superhero work. His stuff he did for Iron Man in the 60s was, was really good. Um, this is a nice piece in that um, you've got a background element uh, that she's standing on the sort of mountainside, and then you've got her little – Cheetah pal there, and they're all in color. And then you've got all the informational stuff in the background in the Serpent where she's fighting Wonder Woman and changing these animals and stuff. And she she seems to be holding a Mr. Microphone for for some reason. I don't know why. I that thought the that. same thing. <laughs> hey, Wonder Woman. Um, <laughs> I will say the animals look really good. Yes, and the, yeah, they look really sharp. Yeah, and a side note: this is uh, two redheaded girls in a row. So yay for us. I didn't realize that Cersei was so prominent in Wonder Woman's background pre-crisis. I thought that was just a post-crisis establishment. So oh, I was no, kind of... no, no, yeah. She first appeared in Wonder Woman number 305, yeah. which was not all that long before the Wonder Woman book, the first Wonder Woman series was, was canceled. But, yeah, she was a fairly big villain to, for Wonder Woman in the uh, last year or two of her, her pre-crisis career. Yep. Um, next is the Citadel, which is a sort of organization, sort of criminal empire-esque organization from the Omega Men. Um, they don't list the Citadel's first appearance, I guess, because the Citadel is more of a thing than it is it's, than a person. Well, normally they would. Normally, what they do with these sort of group things, they do list first appearance. And that was one of the notes I had too. Is they they didn't list first appearance, which I thought was kind of surprising. Right. I, I, I I'm a, I'm of a believer that you should list first appearance for everything, 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 bases, every, you know, whatever. Um, but they but they don't do it here. It's drawn by Tom. Uh, Todd Smith, who was drawing the Omega Men. I don't know if he was drawing the Omega Men at the time, but he did draw the Omega Men at some point. Um, it's, you know, it's cool. I, I really like that book. The Omega Men was, was, was really neat. And uh, in the foreground, you see a couple of the big goony guys, and then the, 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 the sort of... The, he's the, the, the guy in the front. I forget. I'm blanking on his name, and I'm not reading the print at the moment. He was Is it uh, Harry Hokum? Harry, I guess that's who it was. 
he was kind of like, sort of like the Darth Vader, or more the Grand Moff Tarkin of, of the Citadel. I mean, he certainly looks like Grand Moff Tarkin, kind of. And then you've got the uh, sort of Emperor-like guy. You see him in the serpent, that big ball of face energy in the in the background there. Looks like the great intelligence back there. Yeah. There was a great... And if you ever... Anybody ever read The Omega Men, read that book. That's a fun book. You can pick it up for cheap, and it's a lot of fun. And it's one of the few comic book series where stuff happens. Like, <laughs> they, they killed off characters left and right, and they actually did develop the story, um, which was a lot of fun. And the uh, for those of you who have read The Omega Men, you know that the Citadel goes out in a very funny way. So... It's a, it's in a good, funny way. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Well, your, in, in a kind there's, of there's your hook, folks. Yeah, in a kind of ballsy, let's just do this kind of way, which in a way you didn't do a lot of villains back then. So. Okay. Um, next up is <laughs> this seems to be somebody's personal favorite, Claw the Unconquered, drawn by Keith Giffen and Pablo Marcus. I can only imagine that this was something Keith Giffen specifically asked because I think heretofore he had no connection to this character. Here's where research pays off oh, because I did. I thought the exact same thing. I figured Keith just thought this would be fun and put him his name on the list. So I did a little research before the show. It's this thing. It's where you do prep work before you actually record. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, huh. but um, Keith actually drew some of the original series. Uh, Claw the Unconquered had like an eleven or twelve issue series that ended up getting squashed in the uh, the DC implosion right in seventy eight seventy nine that kind of era. And Keith was actually – he didn't draw the first few issues, no. but he drew a couple, couple towards the end. Oh, I didn't know. Okay. I, I, didn't I had know. no idea either. Yeah. I was astounded. I'm like, seriously? So, you know, that would make perfect sense why he did it. There you go. I said it. This is, this is a character he said, as Shake said, had his own series. But back in the mid-'70s, uh, DC was big on the sword and sorcery books. So they were giving, like, every sword and sorcery character their own series just right out of the gate. You know, Call the Unconquered and Beowulf and all these things. So they were just like, you know, hey, sword and sorcery, give him a book. Right. Uh, it didn't last. I think it lasted, what, about 12 issues, you said? Something like that? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, obviously, in this drawing, Claw has just gotten somebody because uh, there's some sort of gick on his sword there. Um, <laughs> and then you, in the serpent, you see a close-up of his icky, gross hand, which he, you know, keeps covered up in that iron glove there, which you could see. You, you could almost call it a claw. You could almost call it a claw. I refuse to, but you could almost call it a claw. Right. Uh, now, this is an interesting character. Um, if you read his history here, it's this, it's, uh, he's obviously, his one hand is this nasty claw, and it's actually passed down from generation to generation. <laughs> and every male heir has it. And it's actually evil, and is slowly taking control of and, and trying to make the person evil. It's kind of a really good sword and sorcery sort of sto- story, so it it sounds really compelling. And then they brought this character back in one of my favorite series, um, little, I should say favorite little end series, uh, Primal Force, where they took they never I don't think they ever quite explained it, but they took somehow someone from the, the line of Claw family and brought him to modern day Earth in, in po- post zero hour. He was part of Primal Force. I had no idea about any of that. <laughs> no, that's very interesting. Um, in Powers and Weapons, he's listed as being an Olympic-level athlete and savage hand-to-hand combatant. I kind of like the idea of comparing them to Olympics, even though they're characters that would have no frame of reference for the Olympics. Right. Well, his, his, and he mentions here his sword, Moonthorn, which he says is covered in ick. Is, it's not just a sword, folks. It's got these, like, the sword almost has, like, two fangs coming off it. It's a vicious weapon. I would not want to be hit with this weapon. This would make a great toy line or cartoon series or something like that. Should have been a toy from Remco. There you go. Perfect. So that, that, this is, you know, one of those little, you know, 
sops to DC's history because I think in by this point Clothier and Concord was pretty much unknown. Um, like you said before, this was bef- long before he was brought back. So I think this was DC just yeah. sort of acknowledging its past of like, hey, this guy did have his own series not all that long ago. Yeah, it was like six or seven years he had been totally missing. Yeah, yep. he's gone. Um, next is a great, great, great double page spread, all by Marshall Rogers. It's all three of the Clayfaces. And I, this is, I love how they have sort of morphed them all into one big listing. I think this is right. really it, nice. I mean, you really get three in one on two pages. I don't right. think, I don't, I, don't, I don't think you get anything like this in Husu anywhere else. No, this is fairly unique. You've got the Clayface from the 1940s, and then you've got the Clayface from the 1960s, and then you've got the Clayface from the 1970s, and they're all very different. You see, the first Clayface looks kind of like a Boris Karloff type uh, movie character. <laughs> Looks like? Do you see his name? Basil Carlo, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not even trying yeah. to hide that. <laughs> and then the second one is, he looks like just a big thing of putty wearing underpants. And then, oh, what? He's a, he's got blue underpants on. I mean, I'm not saying anything strange. They're briefs. They're briefs. They're briefs. All right. So does Aquaman wear black underpants? Yes, they all do. If they wear, Yes, they do. Okay. All right. Just, okay. And then in the third listing, you've got the modern one, who is the real nasty one, because you see him converting a guy into a big pile of goo. It's really icky. Really, really icky. Yes. Um, when I first read this series, I had never read or read very few of the Golden Age Batman comics. So this early version of Clayface absolutely captivated me. I thought he looked so cool. He's got the, this, the, the early one, you're saying? Yeah, the, not, yeah, the Golden Age one. Um, he's got the cool fedora, and he's got this purple suit and this sort of cape, and he's holding this dagger. He looks really neat. I, I want to like try and find these comics with him because he looks really cool. I was really entranced by by that early version. I was like, wow, that that's a cool looking version of Clayface. I didn't think I was familiar with him at all. That's really interesting. You and I, we have so many strange parallels in our lives because I also, and this is even in my notes, I was transfixed by this entry, uh, and not for the. Uh, Basil Carlo incarnation, but the Preston Payne, the modern day version, where he's turning that like security guard to goop. Yeah, I would, I would stare at this entry for hours. Just that little image of him, because it was freaked me out so much. Because what he's done is he's taken his glove off, and just by surely touching the human, he's turning him to protoplasm. Yeah, and then his little head is jammed inside this like looks like a jelly jar. It's too small for his head. <laughs> And I would just stare at this thing and be freaked out. Now it's kind of funny. As an adult, I look at it and I look at the boots and the piping on the legs. I'm like, oh, that is so 80s. Uh, (laughs) But um, that's funny that we're both really into these characters. Yes, and of course, neither one of us cared anything about the guy in the middle, apparently. Which is the one that they used in the animated series and became the most well-known, ironically. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Later, of course, the Batman animated series did their own version of Clayface, which to me is almost like the definitive one, that giant mountain... Yeah, mountainous pile of goo. But this is a great listing. Very clever to, to to mix them all together. You get them all with one big logo. It's it's real. And getting Marshall Rogers, who of course drew the big, the most uh, one of the famous runs of Batman in the seventies, was a great idea. So this is this is really a beautiful beautiful listing. And I think that this list, listing honestly is responsible for the later Batman crossover called Mud Pack. Oh, I think I think you'd have to yeah. Because th- this is a really good example of the legacies of through DC, and I don't know that anyone would have thought of the legacy of Clayface without this entry. So. Right, and of course, then later they went on to do Clayface 4, who was a woman, who was yep. part of the Mud Pack. So you can't keep a good Clayface down, you know, you just keep doing Clayfaces. 
A quick, a couple quick, interesting notes I took on Basil Carlo. He was just a straight up murderer. Yeah, he which, didn't have special powers or anything. Well, I mean, it, in a lot of golden age bad guys, you'll read was like a bad guy, a bank robber, or whatever. This guy literally killed people. So I get the sense that his appearances in the Batman books were before they started to try and um, sanitize them for kids. You know, because yeah, after yeah. Fort Wortham and all that, I mean, they later on, they you know, the bad guys weren't murderers. They were just bad guys. Well, this guy straight up killed people. So that's kind of stuck out at me. I like how they also mentioned Arkham. I always like it when these Arkham Asylum's full name. You know, Arkham Asylum for the Criminally Insane. They mentioned in his entry. It's like, I never read that nowadays. And it's just like, I like that. <laughs> and um, this made me a little sad. In, in the Clayface 2 entry, uh, it says... Uh, talk about how Hagen got stopped by Batman and Superman. Mm -hmm. In a parenthesis, it says, see Superman 2, which means, like, there'll be a later entry uh, in Who's Who for that character. And actually, there never will be. Superman 2 being the Superman from Earth 1. Uh, We'll talk about that later down the line, Mm -hmm. but uh, there is no Superman Earth 1 entry in Who's Who, which is a heartbreaker for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Again, that picture freaked me out of Clayface 3. (laughs) Yeah, this is probably my favorite listing in the book, but we'll see. Maybe I've forgotten one as we get to it. Um, next up you, is... You forgot about this one! I forgot about this one. Clock King, drawn by, by Dan Spiegel, the great underrated Dan Spiegel. Um, Dan Spiegel drew some of the Green Arrow backup strips that ran in various books, Detective Comics, and World's Finest Comics, and I think he even drew some stories of the Clock King, so I think that's why he was picked to do this. That, that costume does not inspire fear in the hearts of <laughs> superheroes everywhere. And of course his alter ego was William Talkman. So, you know, what other choice did he have than to do this? Well, he, uh, I don't know. His history is just a heartbreaker. It's a seriously tragic story. The, the, the thing is the guy's terminally, he finds out he's terminally ill. He's only got a little while to live. And his sister is also really, really sick. And so what he does is he goes to commit crimes to make money to set his sister up so that she'll be okay once he dies. Because like, he figures, you know, he figures if I get arrested, I'm going to die, you know, before I ever go to prison anyway. So what's like the matter? It's Breaking Bad. Is it? Okay, I, I haven't watched it. So. <laughs> it's the plot of Breaking Bad. So well, they be- stole it from Clock King. <laughs> so he figures, you know, why not? I'll go commit the crimes because I won't live to see prison time and my sister will be okay. Well, it turns out he got misdiagnosed. <laughs> so, you know, kind of the joke's on him. And then he goes to jail and his sister ends up dying anyway. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> Poor guy, and uh, and and you know he, as you mentioned, his costume is ridiculous. Yes. He he becomes a joke in post crisis. He really does. He becomes part of the. Not? What's that? How could he not? I know, but he becomes part of that Justice League uh, International. What were they called? Um, the Injustice Gang, I think. Yeah, they were. yeah. But they're all the joke characters and stuff. Justice League Antarctica at one point. Um, now I, I do like. Two things that we're noticing in the in the print here, they refer to you know Green Arrow and Speedy as the Ace Archers, and I like that it's in capital letters. That's a theme here in a minute. <laughs> capital letters, Ace Archers, and finally, um, one of the hallmarks of these I mentioned to you. There's the front image, and then there's that thing Rob made up called the surprint, which is the background image in single color. And what they're supposed to do in the background image, they're always supposed to show a close up of the character's face without their mask on. And this is of one of the rare examples we do not see William Tick Tuckman's face. No. No, we don't. It's a great pose by Dan Spiegel. It's a very, I mean, for such a doofy costume, it's a very dramatic pose. He's turned to the side and he's got his finger pointing into the camera. I mean, it's a, it's as dynamic a pose as you can get when you're wearing that outfit. Yeah, that's fair to say. He did a really great job with what he had to work with. Dan Spiegel's a great artist. Great, great, great artist. He's still with us. He's, I think he's like 90 years old, but he's still around. He's really, really great guy. 
Wow. Um, next up is a Batman villain, Clue Master, drawn by Carmen Infantino and Bob Smith. Um, I, I, this guy, I don't know. I, I think he was kind of like a big Batman villain for a little while, but there's just something about him. I just, there's something, get a belt or something. It's just <laughs> carrying around all those things on his chest. It just looks so stupid to me. He's he's he uh, he's often referred to as a walk. Robin called him a walking utility belt. What he's got, he's got <laughs> yeah, these, exactly. These capsules, like giant tablets, uh, affixed to his chest. He's got like ten of them, and they're like the sort of like bat belt cartridges, so he can you know whip out whatever he needs at that time. I tell you, I was fascinated by this character. I really, really, really was. Um, I dig his mask. He's got sort of like a a, a fanciified cowboy. You know, bank robber would always pull up their. You know, with a bandana over their face. That's kind of all he's got. He's got sort of a thing pulled. I don't know what you call that, but he's got it pulled up over his nose and his mouth, and it's tied up, you know, like a scarf around behind him. It looks like the shadow a little bit. Okay. Yeah, like the way the shadow would wear a scarf, right. And he looks, he's just a very dramatic pose by Carmen Infantino and Bob Smith. He's very proud. He's very proud of his costume. Hey, or his junk, whichever one, because he's kind of thrusting it at us. Yeah. But... I actually, I always assumed this was, even though, regardless of what's in the print, as a kid, I always assumed this was a Flash villain, because it was drawn by Carmen Infantino. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And he's so gimmicky. Yeah. He just, he seems like a Flash villain. And I was, I was totally fascinated by this character. In fact, when I did a role-playing game as a kid, uh, I did not want to use someone like the Joker or Riddler for some reason. I always, always attracted to the B-level guys. I always used this guy as my bad guy. <laughs> and, uh... It, again, I mentioned the capital letters in the Clock King entry for Ace Archers. This one has in in capital letters the Masked Manhunter and the Dynamic Duo, both using capital letters as if it's a, an official title, like maybe yeah. it's on their business cards. I feel like DC was trying to copyright some things, maybe. It could have been, could have been. And uh, you know who Clue Master's daughter is, don't you? Uh, no. Seriously? Are you, you should... really? You're going to pull that card out? I really am. Yeah, you, you should have a grown. You don't know. You don't know who Brad Bird is. You don't know who Carla Rae Jepsen is. But I don't know who the daughter of Clue Master is. And you're looking down on me. Her name is Stephanie Brown. Oh, Batgirl. Oh, and the light bulb goes off. So, spoiler: Batgirl, great character who is not in the New Fifty Two at this point and should be. I didn't know that. Okay. There you go. Uh, next up is <laughs> oh. another Carmen Infantino drawing. This time inked by Klaus Jansen, a Flash villain. Colonel Computron. <laughs> I believe the mascot for CompUSA, I think, in the 80s. I think he was their guy. I think, I just have to say it. I, mean, I think only Klaus Jans. I mean, this drawing is it's ridiculous, but um, it's a giant fat computer guy. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and sadly, I have read this issue of Flash with him too many times because Firestorm's in the backups. Uh, or maybe it's Dr. Fate. I, I forget which, but. Um, I think it was Dr. Fate. I think it was, I think it was I think, Dr. Fate, actually. It was either it may have been Dr. Fate's first issue, actually. Uh, either way, it's only um, only Klaus Jansen. Like it would be worse. It would be a worse drawing if Klaus Jansen hadn't inked it. Let's put it that well, way. Well, I don't know if the, the drawing is so much bad. It's just such a ridiculous looking character that there's. Just, well, I don't know what you could do with it. Carmen was drawing the book at the time, though. So okay, but I just I just <laughs> saying I just think the drawing itself is the thing inherently wrong with it. It's just. The name is ridiculous. The look is ridiculous. Everything, yes. you know. I mean, just so. I'm just saying Klaus makes it look better than it would be. Yes. I think. Yeah, I would absolutely. <laughs> well, Klaus Jansen did that for everybody. I would he's, he's fantastic. So, yeah. Um, next is Colonel Future, 
a character I'm really not familiar with, but it is a, gr- a tremendous drawing by Eduardo Barreto. Great lighting. We don't. There wasn't a lot of lighting done in Who's Who listings, but this you see like there's like a spotlight shine on him or something because of all the deep shadows. So it's really very dramatic looking pose. It, it, it's amazing. I mean, it, it is so like superheroish. It's like it, 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 you take you lift somebody right out of like a a 1950s jetpack kind of character or oh, 1930s yeah. yep. jetpack character and give him Edward Barreto 80s slick artwork and it's just like wow, he looks great. And we see him using his powers. We see him teleporting there. The the one half of him teleporting at the top and then he's reappearing at the bottom. We see he's got some sort of belt thing which is uh putting Superman in some sort of stasis field, and then there's a close-up of him without his mask. Now, he had a really interesting power. He could get glimpses of the future, but only when his life was threatened. <laughs> so My life so, depends on knowing these lottery numbers. Well, he actually got to the point where he built a life-threatening machine, <laughs> which, would, which would put him in life-threatening situations so that he could use his power. That's great. <laughs> and in in, in in good Silver Age kind of styling, actually, this is probably Bronze Age, uh, he would see the future, try and go stop it from happening, and find out, like, he was actually ultimately responsible for causing whatever it was to happen. So <laughs> I'm texting while driving. My life is being threatened. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> this is good. Yeah, this is, I think, this is a one of those instances of a, you know, fairly mediocre character or unknown character really being brought to life by great art. You know, this yeah, is just yeah. a great, great listing. So I'll give very, you that. Very, very nice. Uh, next up is Color Kid, who I think has the is going to hold the Who's Who record for least amount of text. <laughs> I think I think there's literally four sentences in his history, and then the rest of it is drawn is the big drawing by Keith Giffen and Bob Oxner. Um, yeah, it's he's Color Kid. What else do you need to say? It's I tell you, it, it's very simple drawing. But it really is striking. I mean, Keith Giffen, with a character, well, okay. Last time we mentioned Chlorophyll Kid, and we talked about the Legion of Substitute Heroes, and there's actually some of this coming up in the listener feedback, by the way. So I'm not going to say too much, but Legion of Substitute Heroes were not the most seriously regarded team, and that was intentional in the book. And so, for a character that you just kind of assume is going to be made fun of, they they've done a very simple drawing, which sort of reinforces the making fun of him, but it's a really striking drawing. I mean, because the, the striking colors, the wonderful use of shadows by Keith Giffen, I like it, even though it's really campy. Yeah. Absolutely. He looks like the mascot for the Hawaii Rainbows football team. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm just going to say, Colin Kidd is probably very happy about recent uh, state initiatives in Maryland and Washington. And Maine, <laughs> <Jeez>. so. <laughs> um, you know, now that you mentioned the feedback, I didn't mention this at the top of the show, and I should, is that we'll get into it a little bit later, and that we talked about, in the previous episode, we talked about um, Walt Simonson, and I made an error regarding Walt Simonson about what year he got into comics, and Walt Simonson actually responded to us, to correct uh, us on that, and so in the interest of getting other comic pros to respond to our shows and listen to our shows, I'm going to make false statements about other artists, just so <laughs> they feel compelled to correct them. So, just so you know, see if you can spot uh, when I say something that isn't entirely true about a, an artist. So, just from here on, just make sure you can, you know, try and try and find out which ones I'm, I'm saying statements I'm making are not true. For example, for Keith example, Giffen. Keith Giffen was our thirty-second president. That's right. That's right. He was. Hello, America. Uh, oh, I got I got the FDR thing in Who's Who as well. Next up <laughs> is next up is Colossal Boy. 
joined by uh, Steve Lytle, who is the world's heavyweight champion, and inked by Bill Ray. <laughs> this, is, this is now. I love Steve Lytle's work. I, this is not one of my favorite listings because he's colossal boy, and he's not being colossal here in this listing. I all right. I'm going to argue with you by the surroundings. I'm going to argue with you to some extent. I will not argue that point. Okay. That, that's the only point I would not argue. It would be kind of cool if he was, like, so big he was, like, breaking the border. That the would have been awesome, something. yeah. But um, I still love this drawing. So I'll talk about it since you're bad-mouthing it. Uh, I can't believe you hate Steve Lytle like this. You know, you have that whole I hate Steve Lytle blog. So <laughs> um, you, get, you get the image of Colossal Boy, the main colored one. In the Serpent, you actually get two other images of Colossal Boy, which are demonstrating his scope of size. True. In, in both cases, he's standing next to the Legion headquarters, like towering over the Legion headquarters. Right. They've got him in a, his old Silver Age outfit, towering over their old silly sort of clubhouse, and all the Legion fans just yelled when I said that. And then they've got him standing in the next pose next to the modern-day Legion headquarters, and he's got his little girly girl in his hand there. And uh, so it does give you a scope, but you're right. The main color image is a lot smaller than it probably should be. But it's got these nice inset pictures of his mom and... That's a beautifully designed piece. Yeah, it, it, it really is. There's a lot of nice iconography going on in the background here. The I don't know who the guy is. Maybe that's his dad. Uh, and then they have these little inset pictures of his legion ring, of his chest symbol, which is sort of a kind of bird of some sort. And then... It has the male symbol, you know, like the circle with the, the ray coming out, except it's really, really fat, so as if to imply colossal. <laughs> so I think that's kind of cool. It's got a nice inset picture of his Durlin uh, wife, uh, Yura. And, that was uh, a great storyline. That was one of the few times I read Legion. That was a great storyline where he revealed that, that he thought he fell in love with another member of the Legion, and it turned out that that member of the Legion was a Durlin in disguise. That would be the same storyline used years later in Fantastic Four with Human Torch. Oh, look at that. When he fell in love with Alicia Masters, but she was actually a scroll. Oh, my God. Shocking. Uh, Heartbreaking. <laughs> fun fact about Colossal Boy, I believe he is DC's first Jewish superhero. Oh, really? They, they retroactively went back and made him Jewish. Okay. And I think it was like the first time they'd ever done. Maybe not the first, but like pretty significant. So. I, I guess they, at some point, DC realized, you know, not every superhero is Christian, so let's let's spread it out a little. And so they made him, they made him Jewish. This is a character I've always liked. Um, I didn't get into the Legion until years later, until Keith Giffen's five year later run. Um, but every appearance of Colossal Boy that I've read, when he was Leviathan and all these, I just always liked the character. He's just a, he seems like a nice guy, you know. And I like the the issues he has to deal with with his mother as president. Because uh, in later issues, she's really a not a nasty person sometimes, and um, it's a it's a fun it's a fun character. I really like this one. Uh, next is oh man, this is some killer art we got going here. We're gonna wax Jerry Ordway's car as we always do. Commander Steel by Jerry Ordway, a fantastic piece of artwork. The, it is just you know. It's it's got him standing there looking very proud, very sort of American in the background. We see him fighting a giant tank, where there's a, a sort of cutaway of him with all of his uh, metal exoskeleton in there. A wonderful portrait of him without his mask on, and then there's a portrait of the noted Doctor Gilbert Giles, who of course helped Steel become Steel. So a, a superb listing. Jerry Ordway was just killing these these who's who listings. Well, Commander Steel, if you don't know, was, he was created in the seventies. Right, he got but, his own book. He was one of those characters that they just debuted in his own series. Jerry Conway and Don Heck 
created the characters. And he, it was in the 70s. However, it took place in the 40s. He was very much a Captain America kind of character. Sure. And later on, he got absorbed into the All-Star Squadron and became uh, – because his book got canceled during the DC implosion. So he got absorbed in the All-Star Squadron, which kind of kept him alive, which then – um, Jerry Conway used the same concept to create Steel in Justice League Detroit, and then Jeff Johns went on to create Citizen Steel uh, in Justice Society. So you've got a real legacy that came out of this character. It was very impressive. And you know, it's interesting to me, in regard to that legacy here, nowhere in this entry, except one tiny little place, do they mention his grandson went on to become Steel in Justice League Detroit. The only mention of it is under known relatives. Hmm. Yeah, you Hank Haywood III. And the reason this surprises me is because th- at, at this time in history when Who's Who was going on, Steele's connection to Commander Steele was a really big deal. In fact, as Crisis went on, that's when Commander Steele sort of showed his true colors. In modern day, that is. Right, yeah. Oh, they uh, turned him into a real SOP. Yes, they did. They really did. Um, so it just kind of really uh, surprised me that to get such a little mention of that. But going back to the art piece, oh. Jerry Ordway is amazing. He is such a good artist. This is an absolutely gorgeous drawing. And, um, again, every time I, every time we get to a Jerry Ordway page, I just want to get off the podcast, throw my headphones down, and go read All-Star Squadron. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, this is the instance where they probably could have gotten Don Heck to do it because he yeah. was a co-creative character, but they went with Jerry Ordway because, of course, he was doing all that killer work on All-Star Squadron. So, and I'm glad they did because it's, it's just a beautiful piece. Well, Don, and, and, and they obviously could have got him because Don just did Cersei a few right, pages ago. Right, right, So I uh, should mention that he was rechristened Commander Steele by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt himself. Your name how- is Commander Steele. Thank you. I was going to ask you to do that. I know you were. <laughs> uh, next is one of the doofier characters. Uh, I'm glad you said it first. Composite Superman, uh, even though he's half Batman. So he really should be called Composite Superman Batman, but I guess that's too long of a name. Um, this is a guy who has the, uh, sort of powers and abilities of both Superman and Batman, and he... No, he doesn't. He doesn't? I thought he no. Did. Clearly he didn't read the entry. No, I didn't. It gets uh, even more ridiculous. Yeah, I, that's, first of all, look how much text it is. Way too much to read. Um, and he's a very literal-minded character, because he took Superman's uniform and Batman's uniform and smooshed them together. So he's, him and Two-Face are going shopping at the same tailor. It is absolutely ridiculous. It's this guy who was one of the curators at the Superman Museum. It, it just gets worse. Uh, he gets zapped by lightning, or him and a series of Legion of Superheroes statuettes. Which you see happening in the background there. Right. Gets zapped by lightning. Somehow he gets the power of a bunch of Legion of Superheroes, which he then uses those Legion of Superhero powers to become composite Superman. Because why not? Where he's Superman and Batman, yet he's got Legion powers. And it just, as I, I kept struggling, and I'm sorry for you Silver Age fans, I just, I, I, I was struggling to read this. And the more I read, I'm like, you are just kidding. Oh, now there's, a, there's some alien named Zan in this? What? And then Composite Superman, a new version of Composite Superman becomes Amalgamax. Amalgamax, yes. I'm like, oh, God. It sounds like a is... superpowers toy that never got made. I think he was. Um... <laughs> I, I have nothing more to say about this. Yeah, this is just this is this is like DC the DC universe at its goofiest. Well, so. actually, I do have one more thing. His marital status is single, and after you read the entry, it should say super single. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. I, mean, I think we're done picking on composite superman. Uh, next is uh, now. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? We should say 
as much as the character's ridiculous, Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson did a really nice job on the drawing. Yeah, it's nice. It, it, it's a dynamic costume. If you can get past this, how stupid it is, sort of. I right. Mean, I mean, know. it's, it's I, you know, again, Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson did a really nice drawing on this entry, given what it was. Yes. I, mean, I, I really I really like Murphy Anderson's stuff. As I said in previous episodes, I've, I've found out that I'm really a fan of his through Who's Who. So, well, how, and he Kurt, keeps, uh, how does he keep half a mask on? <sighs> Next. All right. Computo by Keith Giffen and Gary Martin. Um, who is a uh, uh, Gary Martin? I believe is one of the judges on The Voice right now. He's. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying random stuff. Hopefully somebody will respond. Uh, Computo. This is a very bizarre looking character. He's a Legion superheroes villain. He was created by Brainiac Five. Um, his occupation is major domo, which I wonder what your tax code is on the form for that. Um, he's a creepy looking guy. He's, there's this kind of skinny black dude floating in the air and sitting next to him is this um, old timey robot with wheels. So he's got kind of everything going on here. Well, that's not just a skin. Uh, you don't know your Legion history at no, all. No, not I don't. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even arguing that. I don't at all. That is, it's actually a girl. That's Danielle That's a Fo- girl? Yeah, that's Danielle Focart. I've never been sure how to say the last name. read these listings before we She is the sister of Jacques Focart, who went on to become Invisible Kid. Oh, of course. Right. <laughs> now, that's important. God! Anyway, um, yes, folks, Rob will be appearing next week on the Legion of Superheroes podcast. Um, in Caputo, and, and this part I don't know. I'll let the readers tell me, because our readers are much smarter than we are. Um, Caputo is basically Ultron. Um, is kind of the way it works. Hank Pym created Ultron to be like a smart computer and it went too far. And that's kind of what here, here Brainiac 5 created Computo, who went too far. And now they've sort of harnessed, at least in this point in history, they've harnessed his intelligence and um, is now their own computer. He's running their house, sort of like um, later on the Justice Society would use the, the computerized version of Thinker as their own computer. And it's kind of funny, there's a there's a bit in here that says, the now-tamed version of Computo is contained in an energized circuit globe that serves as a major domo for the Legion of Superheroes headquarters under Brainiac 5's watchful supervision and the suspicious glances of other Legionnaires. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it's, I mean, that's like, you know, it's like asking Ultron to run your bright house. It's like, I just don't know. It just doesn't seem like a formula for success, but... Um, I guess one final note is uh, Computo's logo is drawn by someone who obviously had a uh, five martini lunch, and then came back. <laughs> <laughs> they've they've got the shakes there, but uh, that's okay. Uh, now Computo is important for one more thing. I said one Computo, thing. I, you've heard of Triplicate Girl? Yes. You heard of Duo Damsel? Oh yeah. Same person, because one of the yeah. triplicates got killed, got killed by right. c- by Computo. Oh, look at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bouncing Boy's probably mad then because he was having a lot of fun. Yeah, well, he saw his song. He's but still no. having fun now, but he's having even more fun when he's a <laughs> triplicate girl. Uh, <laughs> Dear Legion of Superheroes Forum, I never thought this would happen to me. Uh, oh. next, next up, next up, one of the great listings of the book, Congo Bill and Congo Rilla, uh, drawn by Chuck Patton, who obviously requested, please give me every turkey. Uh, you have because he drew the Bawana Beast listing in, uh, in, in issue two. It's drawn by Chuck Patton and Frank Giacoya, I believe is how you say it. Um, Congo Bill goes. All right, hold on. You got to do your research, son. Yes. Chuck Patton actually drew Bill, Congo Bill in DC Challenge. Uh, 
Yes. All right. I'm just saying, you know, that doesn't mean that he would have been the guy to get him, though. Well, he's the most closely associated with the character at that time. I guess. I think you're reaching a little. I mean, um, I'm doing research is what I'm doing. <laughs> no, but I mean, a lot of people do a lot of people in DC Challenge, so they didn't match everybody. I'm just saying, it's interesting that, that, that both Chuck Patton drew Boana Beast and Congo Bill and Congorella. That there seems to be a theme there. Okay, there does seem to be a theme there. Yes. I'll give you that. Uh, I do love how this is a double entry. Even yeah, it's great. It's one character, but it's a double entry. Right, and Congo Bill goes way back, as you'll see. His first appearance was in Action Comics number one. So, you know, he's he's in there, man. Well, I tell you, I honestly, and this is one of my notes in here, I attribute the only the only reason this character made it past his first appearance, I think, is because he was in Action Comics number one. Like... It's, he's in such a famous comic that so many people have stumbled over him over the years that's, that they just kept him going. That's an interesting observation. I, that's, I never thought of it, though, but you're right. You, I'm sure that you know, a lot of everyone who appeared in Action Comics number one probably got a little bit extra level of fame simply because their book was looked at so many times because it was so significant. So that's true. Like if, if, if someone had a backup in Detective Comics number 27, they probably would have been around longer than that's you would expect. That's interesting. Well. Interesting. Um, is he, his occupations are explorer, big game trapper, naturalist, which sounds like he likes to get naked, I think, and corporate, corporate president. Um, he's a group of affiliation of the Forgotten Heroes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting to note that Congo Bill, as you mentioned, had a history before he was Congorilla. Like, he was around for a long time right, before right. he became Congorilla. So it was sort of a, a character that evolved over time. Right. Or devolved, I guess you could say. I like in the Serpent, you've got Congorilla there holding a machine gun. Yes. That's <laughs> great. And then uh, you see Congo Bill with his Congo Real, Congorilla ring that he's touching, which they absolutely should have made as like a serial premium back in the 50s. <laughs> that would have been great. I, really, who wouldn't want that? You know, kids pretending to turn into a giant gorilla. It seems like a perfect thing. Um, gr- a great listing. And Chuck Patton. I'm just such a big fan of Chuck Patton, you know, most of his art and as a human being. So I'm just really happy. Although... A um, little bit of color dropped out there. Have you seen the right near Congorilla's uh, private area there? Uh, there's a white patch, which should be orange. So, that's, Well, maybe that's like a you know, strange part of his body that stayed white all the time, his inner left thigh. <laughs> I, I do. I really love that in the listing, then. They had the space. <laughs> I really dig that drawing of uh, Congo Bill in the Serpent. He looks very uh, Clark Gable. You know, he looks yeah, just... well, he's the um, he's 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 modeled after the uh, uh, oh god, there was the Bring Him Back Alive guy. It was like a famous oh god, I, f- I forget his name, but there was a, a a guy who was famous for being like a animal tamer, okay, and he was sort of like turned into like a movie star type thing. All right, yeah, I, I'm blanking on the uh, blanking blanking on the, the name of the um, the, someone will write it and tell us, don't worry, the guy, something, yeah, sorry. Frank something. Oh, God, I wish he used to remember this. Diablo Frank was his name. Um, exactly. Anyway, great drawing by Chuck Patton and Frank Giacola. Nice stuff. Yeah, very nice. I, I love love Chuck's stuff. And you know. Next up is The Construct, drawn by Howard Bender and Bill Ray, who is a Justice League villain. And we see in the Serpent there a bunch of the Justice Leaguers knocking him over, which doesn't seem fair. Um, he was always kind of a little goofy to me. He's up there with Colonel Computron. He had that... <laughs> kind of a goofy well, face. He, he's a great concept if you read the history. I mean, the idea is that we've been filling the air with all these electric signals for years, radio waves, television waves, microwaves, and stuff like that, and they finally coalesced into an intelligence. That is a neat idea. But the art is just like, it destroys all the coolness <laughs> immediately. I mean, Howard Bender did a fine job with what he was given, 
but he wasn't given much. I, Let me yeah, tell you. Yeah, I just yeah, I think they may could have gotten somebody you know a little a little different. I would, for some reason, I would have loved to see what Bill Sienkiewicz would have done with this. Oh wow! Well, and if you years later, I want to say Kurt Busiek wrote a really cool. Um, construct story for Justice League, if I remember correctly. So imagine how powerful the construct be nowadays with everybody. And, and it was. This was this is fairly recently. So yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. All the all the iPhones powering the construct. The sad thing is, every time construct is recreated, he does not have his previous memories. Poor guy. Oh, he's like the droids in the Star Wars prequels. Yep, they wipe him. Next, all right. Next is controllers, not the controllers, just controllers. Who are a bunch of bad guys from Legion of Superheroes? Their first appearance is in Avenger Comics number three fifty seven. This is drawn by Jerry Bingham. Does a very nice job. Very, very again, very silly looking characters, but uh, rendered fairly dramatically by Jerry Bingham. And they, and they have a history connection to the Guardians of the Galaxy, our Guardians of the Universe, actually. So I, I Guardians of the Galaxy, that would have been amazing. Right. <laughs> now they're connected to the Owens, actually. And this this Jerry Bingham drawing is amazing. Um, absolutely gorgeous. I. This is also a case where, and Legion fans can argue with me, but I think this drawing gave them a lot more cool points than they probably deserved. Um, the drawing is just absolutely breathtaking. If you don't know Jerry Bingham, um, he's, he's mostly a Marvel guy, but he really came into prominence and, and became well-known in D.C. when he did the Son of the Demon, Batman's Son of the Demon graphic novel. So he, in theory, I guess, drew the first Damian Wayne? Yes, I think so. But um, you know, it's interesting, the, the, the art in this one, this, this entry always stuck with me as a kid because I knew they were an important character. I knew the controllers were a big deal. And the art was breathtaking. But if you read the entry, you really don't get a sense for the characters at all. So I, I always struggled with that. So, hmm. damn, they look cool. Next up is Copperhead, drawn by Pat Broderick. Who's, I love the pose that, that Copperhead is doing here. He's trying to scare somebody. He's trying to look very scary, even though he's got a very silly costume. Uh, but he's like, he's like, Bleh! He's like doing the <laughs> sort of Bela Lugosi Dracula thing. Um I mean, he's inherently kind of a creepy concept, a guy that can turn into a snake, and that, that to me is very upsetting. But there's something about wearing the giant snake head mask that just makes him look a little silly. Plus, I like it. I think it looks cool. I've always liked it. Very co- dramatic lighting. I like the underlighting. It's, it's a- yeah. But I've always thought the snake head looks cool. It looks kind of creepy. Now, this pose, he looks more supervillain-esque. I mean, he's got a huge physique, and he's... he's- he is totally ripped. Pat Broderick made this guy totally ripped. And honestly, if you told me this is Pat Broderick without seeing the name on it, I wouldn't believe you. Um, it doesn't look like Broderick. Not that it's bad. It just looks different than Broderick's normal style. Maybe it's because the face is hard to see. Maybe that's what it is. But he he looks very muscle-bound kind of guy. And in Copperhead, later on at least, maybe, I don't know what he was previously, but he always becomes sort of like a skinny, gaunt guy who wraps you up. And that's kind of my vision of Copperhead. So I have a hard time reconciling those two imageries. But... It is a very nice. It's a very good drawing. Yes, and yeah, Pat Broderick did a great job. And Pat Broderick is, of course, as we all know, the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> if you're listening to just this segment, please reference earlier in the show. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Pat. Write us. Write us. Uh, next up is uh, Cosmic Boy, drawn by Richard Howell and Carl Kiesel. Uh, you know, fairly nice listening. Not terribly exciting. Uh, but he's, I like his little sort of jazz hands pose. <laughs> uh, Richard Howell drew a lot of DC Comics, but um, I thought it was. I figured Keith Giffen would have got this one. Mm, I guess maybe there was only so many Keith Giffen could do. I mean, he's busy that, doing Quality and Concord and Computo. And there, there's 
that statement should never be uttered. He, he, Keith Giffen should be allowed to do whatever he wants. I'm just saying there's only so many hours in the day. All right. You see Cosmic Boy floating one of the, like a Roomba or something he's doing there. And then uh, in the background he's posing with the uh, the Legion headquarters, which is, I think, like the de rigueur thing. You're supposed to pose with the Legion headquarters. You, you really should. Although it makes him look as big as Colossal Boy. He, he looks huge there. Because he's in the foreground. So yeah, this, this is probably my favorite character from the Legion. I absolutely love Rock Corrin. He's a great guy. Hard. It's hard to rock pink as a male superhero, but he does it well. He does. He does. And he got shortly after this, he got his own miniseries. That's right. That's right. He did. Um, next up is our first double page. I mean, minus the, the minus the Clayface thing, which is sort of a little different. This is the first split page. We've got Cosmic King, drawn by Tom Mandrake, and then the Council, which was a group of bad guys from the Daring New Adventures of Supergirl. Um, the Council is drawn by Carmen Infantino and Larry Malstedt. This a lot of characters jammed into a tiny space. Um, they kind of look like uh, kid show hosts for some reason. They're they so really cool. do. They look very 1970s kid show they hosts or, kid, or kids cartoon. Yeah. And they're called the Council, and yet they all have the letter G plastered on their chests. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's not a very inspiring drawing. It's, yeah. Well, there's not a lot of space there, but yeah. Now, Cosmic King is a pretty cool shot. Now, again, this is another one of those. If you told me this was Tom Andrake, I'd be like, no, it's not. Um, because it's not in sort of the trademark style he gets. He eventually develops years later, you know, like with his work on uh, Spectre and Firestorm and, and uh, Martian Manhunter. But it's this nice drawing where he takes a tree, and this is in the serpent, and turns it to crystal. He's very mad at that tree for some reason. Aw, it's demonstrating his power. Now, of course, Tom Mandrake was the inspiration for the character Mandrake the Magician. Again, please listen to earlier in the show, Tom. Awesome. We're going to get so much mail. <laughs> All right. Next. Next. Uh, probably the most dynamic listing in the book, I would argue, in terms of just pure drawing style. Count Vertigo, oh. drawn by Trevor Von Eden and Dick Giordano. Great combination. Count Vertigo's got one of the badass costumes in the DCU. Absolutely. And, and on Von Eden was smart and that, you know, it's a fairly simple costume to draw since so much of it is black, yep. you know, but, but it's so dynamic. It's really, and he had a great power. He is, I guess you'd argue like Green Arrow's number one villain. I mean, not that Green Arrow has a lot of great villains, but. Him and, I, him, him and Merlin. Yeah. Right. I always feel like he's just a bit more interesting character, you know, than just Merlin yeah. is another archer guy. Um, I know they're probably not going to do Count Vertigo in the new Arrow series because I think they said no superpowers. In, in that book, in that series, but, that, but you could you could recreate his power with a device. I, I guess you could. Yeah, it's a really, and I love the the inside of his cape. It's all kinds of crazy angles, all scribbly. Well, that's what that's what makes it all work. Yeah, it is. It's a great. It's a great piece, and the, the colored well. It's super, 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 super. Now, um, this was of course before they were to spin hit Count Vertigo off in a number of his own titles. Spin? I mean, coming in. Spin him off? Yeah, all right. In the mid-'90s, he had, like, what, eight or nine titles? Maybe eventually up to 15? Yeah, uh, I think so. Something like that, yes. Well, they all had that black Vertigo label on them. That's right. Weren't they all his? <laughs> That's right. No, all right. That's right. Um, but he uh, – now, I didn't know who Trevor Von Eden was. I had to do a little research on him. He it was um, – According to what I had read, he was the youngest and first black artist DC had ever hired. Yeah, I think they that hired was... him at 15. Oof, wow. Yeah. It was back in 1977. Feel good and... about your lives, people? You don't now. <laughs> <laughs> and he drew a lot of the Black Lightning comics. And, uh, yes, yes, he did. Man, he really did just knock this out of the ballpark. That he... cape, I mean, I can 
I can imagine the texture of that cape. I can feel the velvet piping along the edges. It's uh, wow. Yeah. So striking. Great, great, great listing. And the guy's name is actually Count Werner Vertigo, so what do you expect? Right. And I like how he's blonde with a streak of black in his hair. Yeah, it's great. It's just it's, yep. it's great all the way around. Nice nice job, Mr. Von Eden. Super, yep. super stuff. And it's followed by another great entry. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy quilt. Drawn by oh. Jack Kirby and Greg Thiesten. Uh, he's very proud of his suit. I wouldn't be if I was him, but he but is. He's, co- he's colorblind, so he doesn't know. Well, but I think you can tell. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, uh, his first a lot of different shades of gray. He see first yeah. fifty shades of gray on his costume. Yeah, his first appearance was in Boy Commandos number fifteen. So he goes way back. Goes which way explains back. why Jack Kirby did, drew the entry. There you go. Great logo. Great logo. Which is a, a patchwork of all the various different colors thrown together. Um, crazy Quill. Well, yes. The logo's better than the costume. Yeah. Well, Crazy Quill later invested in the show Forever Plaid, and that made him a, a fortune. So I think he got out of crime at that point. Uh, I know that there's nothing to say about Crazy Quill that hasn't he was, already. He was, he was primarily a Robin villain, uh, even though he started with Boy Commandos. And uh, there's one thing worth mentioning here: in in pre-Crisis, he actually beat Jason Todd, like bludgeoned him badly. <laughs> and I'm just I guess... laughing at the idea of bludgeoning Jason Todd. Well, it becomes a popular hobby um, because the Joker eventually did the same thing and killed him. So I think DC decided Crazy Quilt's footsteps. Exactly. So I think DC didn't want to publish a story called the Technicolor Death in the Family. Instead, they just let the Joker do it. So what a bum! Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'll be here. I'll be here all week. (laughs) That's how long these shows take. Uh, next up, a back we're back to Jerry Ordway, so let's just all praise, praise his name. Uh, drawing the Creature Commandos, again, one of the most ridiculous concepts in the DCU, but I love it. It's basically all the Universal Monsters um, as, uh, World War, as World War II soldiers. <laughs> so you've got Griffith, who was a werewolf, Taylor, who was a Frankenstein, Shreve, who was just a jerk, uh, Velcro... I know! Who was Dracula, and Medusa, who was, of course, Medusa. And there they are, fighting the Nazis uh, as monsters. I mean, ridiculous, involving monsters and Nazis. I don't know what kind of feeb would put those two concepts together for any sort of creative endeavor, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I love, when I was a kid, I loved the Creature Commanders, because they were just so ridiculous. You know, it was just such a ridiculous concept, so... Um, I always I, assumed... I love them. I always assumed it was a... A genuine World War II or maybe a Silver Age thing. Nah, no, no, no. This is, yeah. 1980 later. is when they yeah. premiered, actually. And um, I guess Ordway got to draw them. I think they just gave him everything World War II related. It's <laughs> kind of the way it worked. Because he uh, he never drew the characters. You know, they would eventually go to appear in Young All-Stars, but he wasn't drawing it anymore at that point. And um, so it's just kind of, I just assumed they appeared in all-star squadrons, which is why he drew this. And I went back and read it, read it. And I'm like, no, it's just, he likes that kind of stuff. Yeah, he does. Um, next up is the creeper drawn by Dave Gibbons, which I don't know why they didn't get Ditko. Maybe Ditko was just angry and didn't feel like doing it. Um, but it's, you know, do, your, I, do your research. What? Dave Gibbons drew, uh, some of the creeper backup stories in flash. Okay. But I'm saying he, he was cr- created by Steve Ditko, which you would think. Do you, see, would do, you, do you see anything in this book by Ditko? Let me think. No, I guess not. I don't think he drew anything. Yeah. He may have done something. Like yeah, maybe. I can't think of. Yeah. But he didn't draw. He didn't even draw his own Captain Adam. 
No, he didn't drink. Well, yeah, okay. So I think uh, by this point he he was done. Well, now we'll have to see. We'll have to see if there's any more Ditko. And you guys write in and tell us because you guys are really good about that. Um, but I don't remember. I don't know that there is any Ditko in Who's Who. Anyway, it's a great, great drawing. I mean, the the, the surprint imaging on the background. You've got the creeper kicking the crap out of a bunch of guys, which is great. You see him transforming, and then you see a close-up of him in his identity as an investigative reporter, Jack Ryder. So it's, you know, one of the doofier costumes out there. No one's ever been, been able to explain what that stuff is on his back, that big red. They actually say here. That's what blew me away when I read this. It actually tells you what it is. It doesn't make any sense when you look at it. Okay. But it is actually a shaggy sheepskin rug. Well, right, but I, mean, I, but I mean, why? Why is it there? <laughs> he, he had to make a makeshift costume. He was sneaking into a costume party. So he threw together this makeshift costume from Odds and Ends, which was like yellow makeup and the shaggy sheepskin rug. And then later on, he, he gets this serum, which allows the costume to turn invisible and uh, also be weightless. So as near as I can figure, per this entry, as insane as it sounds, he's always wearing the Creeper costume, but it's invisible. That's uncomfortable. No, no, it's not. Um <laughs> I, first, before I start knocking on the character, because I am going to, I really got to echo what you said. The drawing's amazing. Like, it tells you everything you need to know about the character. It's even got in, like, the ha-ha-ha-ha. Yeah, ha, I should have mentioned back, that. Right? Yeah, it's great. It's Which he's famous for that laugh. Yep. And I've always liked the Creeper logo. But the, 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 this is a character that I just never managed to get into. Like, out of all of DC's sort of B-level characters, they always seem to come back somehow. I, I, and I have tried, folks. I have read... A good handful of Creeper stories, and never have they captured any of my interest. And Diablo Frank's probably hating me at this point now. I'm probably ah. starting a Creeper blog as we speak. Right. Well, I mean, I think Creeper's been featured on a couple of his, either DC Bloodlines or yes. Nerg or something. But um, just not something I can ever get into. And, and reading this entry here doesn't help at all. <laughs> so... I guess that's all I've got to say about that. I will say as a kid, it uh, bothered me that the sort of... Uh, uh, junior file clerk in me because I had some of the Creeper comics and mm-hmm. I think that book is technically called Beware the Creeper. Uh, so I was like, is it a B book? Is it a C book? It just drove me nuts. I used to drive me crazy with Adventures of, of Superman. That, that so. too, yeah. yeah. And yet, you, know what, you, know? you know what would make the Creeper cooler? If he had four long red like tentacles coming out of his sheepskin that ended in suction cups. <laughs> that would be good. To, that yes. allowed him to stick to walls. That would have so. been awesome. They should have done that. Maybe it would have made him a much more popular character, and maybe even merchandisable, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. Go back and listen to our superpowers episode. <laughs> Call but, back. Yep. Uh, <laughs> next is Crime Doctor, drawn by Dennis Cowan and Steve Mitchell, who pretty much is what he sounds like. He's a crime doctor. Um, all right. Now this, I'm going to say something, and Shag, you're not going to like it, probably, but. Uh-oh. This is something I saw when I was a kid, and I can't unsee it. The way Dennis Cowan has drawn Crime Doctor's smock. Okay. Right? It looks a little to me like Crime Doctor is uh, rocking some morning wood. And uh, <laughs> Oh, God. Look at the folds. Look at the folds. I see it. I will never be able see? to un- it's there. When I was a kid, I saw that. I'm like, what is going on? He's very excited about being in Who's Who. So. I don't think that's what's going on at all. No, I of think course that's not what's going on. The fabric's folding, but... It's just the way that it, the way the fabrics are pointing and the way that they only start falling that way right underneath his belt. So. Junk. <laughs> so, that's it. All right. I- I- ignoring all of that, 
it's a really nice drawing. You've got medical instruments in the background. You've got, you know, him in the foreground with his gun and scalpel. That's actually not a gun. It's a, um, a what is it? It's a, the, a thin, an injector gun. And um, if you read his bio, it's like, that was probably a really good comic. You know, it sounds really good. It's it, a fun it's, idea for a character. I have to yeah. admit, you know, although I like the occupation physician and part-time criminal. Right. So he, so he makes not – he doesn't make enough money as a physician. He's got to supplement his income by being a part-time criminal, but just well, part-time. It, no, it's, it has to do with his fascination of crime is what it is. So he's, he gets into it. So <laughs> He seemed down to the bottom slashing Batman with his scalpel. It's kind of – you see little specks of blood shooting out of Batman's shoulder. It's, yep. Yeah, so – but yeah, he, he does do it for the sheer thrill of it actually. <laughs> Which is why we do this show. Right. Exactly. Uh, next up is Crime Syndicate. Drawn by Paris Collins and Terry Austin, who make a really good combination. Uh, yeah. Well, I would say anybody makes a good combination with Terry Austin. Well, that's, but, that's a good point, yeah. But I will say Paris Collins and Terry uh, Terry Austin look especially good together. Paris yeah, Collins is one of my favorites. Yeah, that is true. You, no one has ever said the phrase, boy, that uh, that penciling was ruined by Terry Austin. That's never, <laughs> never been said. But they just, I don't know, there's something about... Um, uh, Terry Austin gives a little bit of like gritty edge to Paris Collins' more cartoony slight look to it. It's it's nice. It's a really nice combination. I like um, I like Perrick's Collins. He has a, he has like a trademark on girls. If you look at Superwoman, she's got these uh, beautiful almond eyes. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Just beautiful. I love that. The Crime Syndicate, for those who don't know, was was, was a alternate Earth version of the Justice League. Said they were all bad guys, and on this Earth, it was all the evil guys had had uh, been running the planet. <laughs> Make your political political jokes here. Uh, we've got uh, Ultraman, of course, which is Superman, Superwoman, who was Wonder Woman. That's confusing. Power Ring, who was Green Lantern. Owlman, <laughs> who was Batman. And Johnny Quick, who was The Flash. So I was always upset as a kid that there was no crime syndicate Aquaman. That always bothered me very much. They killed him. Probably. <laughs> they never say anything like that. Now, um, the, the, keep in mind, this is the pre-crisis crime syndicate. You know, um... Grant Morrison would bring the crime syndicate back into post-crisis with the Earth 2 graphic novel. Right. And then they've reappeared numerous times since then. And there's a lot more um, drama within the group. For example, in the post-crisis version, Owlman is, I think, Thomas Wayne. And Johnny Quick's like a drug addict. And Superwoman, I'm pretty sure, is actually Lois Lane, I think, um, if I remember correctly. I don't remember so, so there's So there's a lot of really... A lot of drama, you know, Batman, I mean, Owlman and Superwoman are having an affair, and Ultraman's jealous, and it's, it's a lot more drama in post-crisis, but um, they were just dastardly villains, you know, kind of thing back then, and they appeared a lot. They would show up in those big crossovers a lot, like, for example, it doesn't tell you their first appearance here, which is no, kind of No, it doesn't. Again, DC, get, go retroactively go back and fix all these comics. But they would show up and fight, like, the JSA and the JLA together. Yes. And uh, it was always made for good times. Which in fact, we, one of our... Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. You, you were just about to say that. I was. One of our favorite stories is Crisis on Earth Prime, which had the JSA, the JLA, and the Crime Syndicate, uh, and the All-Star Squadron. It was just like this massive crossover. Now, here is where Crisis on Infinite Earths catches up with Who's Who and starts affecting the Who's Who entries. Uh, the very last paragraph of the Crime Syndicate entry says, Even with their awesome array of superpowers, the syndicators were unable to save their world or themselves from a power that dissolved entire universes and all perished during the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yep. I think that is the first time the crisis has been, at least the impact of crisis, has been referenced in Who's Who. And we literally see the impact in the surprint of this image of the worlds <laughs> blowing up. 
disintegrating. Disintegrating. Yeah. Uh, I I remember finding that very dramatic when they died in Cry because they gave them like a little bit of dignity. You know, they were like, mm-hmm. yeah, they were bad guys, but they still fought for their lives. And uh, I think it's it's Ultraman who flies purposely flies straight into the void. I think so. It's great. It's really. I remember. I remember reading that, and being like, "Wow, that was really quite powerful." You know, isn't that how Crisis starts? Yeah, I think so. I think they die like on the page two or something. Like yeah, um, it's really, really good stuff. And uh, this particular entry fascinated me as a kid. I read this thing over and over. Apparently, this issue really must have been one of the early issues I had because I read this thing over this particular entry and like the the, the Clayface entry over and over and over and over. Like, I was fascinated by this whole alternate Earth concept that there was an American named Christopher Columbus who discovered Europe. <laughs> Colonial England won her freedom from the United States. Actor actor Abraham Lincoln shot President John Wilkes Booth. So just last, I just found that stuff fascinating. So, um, And the uh, Crime Syndicate logo is a version of the Justice League logo. Yep. It's a version of that. So, yeah, it's great. And to say, uh, if you're Ultraman, how much of a feeb was Ultraman must have been that Superwoman had an affair with Owlman? <laughs> I mean, you're the Superman in this world. You would think that, you know, the Wonder Woman version is that's going to be your girlfriend. And she, so she picks up with the guy with a giant owl on his head. But. Well, that's the thing. She is Ultraman's girlfriend. And she's sleeping around with Owlman. Right. But I'm just saying, yeah. it's like you're you're picking Owlman over me? Really? Right. And yeah, then, well. You know? Well, like you it's did. drama. It's drama. Brainy's the new sexy. Um, next is here we, here we go once again. We're gonna good lord, Jerry Ordway, please write in and just acknowledge how much we love you. The Crimson Avenger, um, amazing drawing by Jerry Ordway, of course. Absolutely. Um, Lee, Lee I, Travis's face in the background. He just he's got sort of a gasping expression in the background, like he sees something dramatic happening, and we see uh, him in his original costume as well because he originally didn't have this kind of superhero suit. He had more of a shadowy type suits. We see him down in the bottom there. The Crimson Adventure um, uh, appeared in, there, there used to be a feature back in DC Comics Presents, which used to be an old Superman team-up book, for those of you who are too young to remember. And they had a, a backup feature called Whatever Happened To. And they would dig out an old character from the 40s or the 50s that hadn't appeared anywhere in many years and sort of update. And they brought back the Crimson Avenger, and they revealed that he was an older man dying of cancer. And he ends up sacrificing his life and saving the entire city one last time, knowing that he's going to die, he sacrifices himself. And it was one of the great, one of the greatest, maybe my single favorite installment of that feature, hmm. um, of what happened, whatever happened to. And he, on his way out, before he um, prevents this ship from exploding and, and blowing up the city, he saves this young boy, um, uh, like a toddler who falls out of a window. He saves the kid. And drops the kid back with the mother. And so when Crimson Avenger dies, he his last thought is he's like, well, at least I'm saving everyone's life. But he's like, wow, no one's going to remember who did it. Because there's a bunch of smoke and you know, like no one knows who he is. Like No one remembers him. Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, I'm going to die. But, you know, and no one's even going to remember who I am. But so be it. At least I'm going out, you know, basically in a blaze of glory. And then the, the boat explodes. And the, the caption says, you know, and the legend of the Crimson Avenger dies today. Or does it? And then they cut to the mother talking to the young boy saying, um, you know, I almost lost you today. It was like it was like a Hispanic woman. And she's like, I think I almost lost you today. And the, I forget the name of the boy is like Pedro or something. And she says, but when you are old enough, one day I will tell you of the man who saved you, the Crimson Avenger. So it's like, <laughs> so the legend will live on. It was 
superb story. Really, one of their best, uh, one of my favorite DC stories of the eighties. I'm really, I'm really shocked that Jeff Johns didn't use that as the leaping point for his version of the Legacy Crimson Avenger. Because that seems like that'd be right up his alley. That was great. It was gr- I should dig out who who wrote that because they deserve like a, a Yellow Dot Award or something. Because it's really good. And this listing is is again is tremendous. And if you check it out, first appearance, Detective Comics number twenty. He predates Pre- Batman. Yes, he does. I he does he he may even predate Superman if I remember. No, he doesn't predate Superman. Okay. Um, now there was a Crimson Avenger miniseries that was post Crisis, and uh, was just a great, great um, miniseries that I absolutely. Is that loved. the one drawn by Greg Brooks? I can't remember. I think it was who, um, who who drew it, but it was an absolutely cool series that I just I dug so it's much. The one, I think the one where he's wearing the old timey costume. Uh, yes, because it, it, yeah, it was uh, his, like you know, his uh, um, yeah, it's like his origin, right? And it was yeah, that is the one drawn by Greg Brooks, who is a murderer. Oh crap! Seriously, I'm, I'm totally serious. <laughs> he was he was later later convicted for murder. Wow! I think he's in jail to this day. I don't mean to laugh about it, but it's just like you don't hear that much, you know, about those kinds of stories. But yeah, uh, so then we see why Greg Brooks probably didn't do any um listings for who's who. Wow. Um, next. I will say, I, I just looked it up. Crimson Avenger appeared four months after Superman. There you go. There you go. But, but before Batman. Pretty amazing. Before, well before Batman. Well before Batman. Um, next up is Croc, as we've indicated, not normally known as Killer Croc, but here he's just Croc, drawn by Ed Hannigan and Romeo Tangal. Um, there's that creepy shot of him as a young boy with the spotlight on him. That, that, that image really haunted me when I first saw it. There's something about this poor kid, you know, like being cursed with this appearance. Yes. Um, I mean, you'd see him currently as a bad guy and he's wrestling with alligators and he's breaking out of prison and he's fighting Batman, but seeing him as a young teenager, that's like very, seemed very sad to me. Although, check it out. Height, 6'5", weight, 268. It doesn't seem that heavy for how hmm. big he is. I mean, he's a big muscle-bound big muscle-bound guy. guy yeah. and, and he, the character really evolved over the years. I mean, at this point, he's more like a circus sideshow lizard man. You know, very strong, but he's not like the full-on alligator craziness he becomes eventually. Right. He's more like Marvel's lizard, uh, without the tail and not quite so animalistic. Right. And, and, and when I say that, I mean the '80s version of lizard when he just looked kind of silly. Right. Yes. Um, and, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say it was created by Jerry Conway. Here's here's a small fact for you. Oh, um, oh, here we go. Tie it into Firestorm. Killer Croc was almost a Firestorm villain. Believe it or not, uh, the original Firestorm series was canceled during the DC implosion. It went five issues. The sixth issue had the appearance of Typhoon. The seventh issue, the only thing we know uh, about it was there was a, a next issue box in the sixth issue that was, again, never published, but we, we, we've seen the art. It says, next issue, The Reptile Man. And uh, when we were talking with Jerry Conway, he said that was going to be what eventually became Killer Croc, same kind of character. So he was almost a Firestorm villain, but it probably served Jerry Conway much better to have him as a Batman villain because the animated series picked him up, and Jerry has been able to make uh, a lot of royalties <laughs> off this character. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Maybe if uh, the uh, the uh, Chris Nolan series had continued, they would have gotten around to him. Right. Now, um, it's also worth noting that in pre-crisis, uh, Killer Croc actually killed uh, Jason Todd's parents. That's right. That's right. So. Um, next up is the big star of the book, Cyborg. Dun, dun, dun. Drawn by, of course, George Perez and Romeo Tangal. And as, you know, another classic Perez listing, we see Victor Stone as he's being transformed into Cyborg, his skull being 
replaced by robotic parts, kind of icky. Uh, we see him lifting up a giant rock. We see him blasting things, and then we have a shot of the city. It's you know a typically beautiful George Perez piece. Yeah, and actually George didn't have a lot of room to work with here because um, there's so much text about Cyborg. I mean, yeah. he's probably only got less than just just barely more than half a page. So uh, it's a, he did, as always, as you said, did a really nice job. The coloring's really nice on this too, actually. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you know, it's, it, in terms of the new Fifty Two Cyborg, he's been treated quite well. He's a bigger star than he ever was. Uh, Maybe not bigger, but he's. You know. Yeah, it's kind of it's funny. It's hard to argue that because like New Teen Titans back then probably sold a heck of a lot more copies than Justice League I, you selling know what? right I'm sure, now. I'm sure, you're right. Yeah. So it's it's funny how you can argue it. Like he's he's definitely more in the spotlight. Yes. You know, it, it, within the DCU, like character wise. Yeah, absolutely. But he he was definitely a character that that obviously DC felt the need to promote because he was put in the Superpowers cartoon show. Yep, and they, he was a stand, him and Firestorm were sensibly like the main characters on that show when it was in the uh, Galactic Guardians phase. Yeah, so um, yeah, so he's always been sort of a big deal in the DCU, one way or the other. And yeah. Of course, he's the main character here on the book. Created by George, co-created by George Perez. Good stuff. There we go. And then the final listing. Here we go. <laughs> Once again, running out of superlatives, Jared Ordway <laughs> drawing Cyclotron. Um, another tremendous listing. Um, this was a character that was not an original 40s character. It was created by Roy Thomas and first appeared in All-Star Squadron number 21. Um, like a lot of the Jerry Rodwick characters, they look like, a, they look like um, he looks like a Holloway, Hollywood, excuse me, Hollywood matinee idol. Yeah. Um, now, this character was really created, as you said, you know, in the, in the 80s. He was a, ret- a purposeful retcon to explain Al Pratt, um, the, the Golden Age Adam. In the 1950s, he took on a different costume and suddenly had powers. Right, never he never really... had powers before. He was just a right. regular guy, yeah. They never explained that. And so this was a purposeful retcon to explain where his costume came from, where his powers came from. And then this guy, Cyclotron, also went on to be the grandfather of Albert Rothstein, who would eventually become Nuclon or Atom Smasher. There you go. And he was engaged to Danny Riley, which is uh, nice the f- this super hot fire, uh, <laughs> was it Firebird? Uh, no, uh, fire, firebrand. Firebrand. Thank firebrand. you. I was trying to say Firehawk, which wasn't right, but yeah, so anyway. So and then, and that is the list. Uh, listing, and then the, the inside pages always has the the where are they now or you know can be seen listings. Um, uh, that was you know there weren't obviously they covered Cyborg and some of the other ones. There's a lot of characters that don't get listed because they just weren't. Yeah. <laughs> there weren't a lot of marquee characters in this book. There's a couple covers here worth mentioning. You get the Crisis on Infinite Earths cover there on issue four at the time. Yeah, they're one month behind Who's Who. Uh, you get a really dramatic Red Tornado cover where Superman's like yelling at him. You know, I love that. I love where Superman's like threatening a JS JLA member on cover, right? Because he never is in the comic, but on the cover he's always an ass. Um, then you get most notably this. This may shock some uh, more recent DC fans. There is a cover of All Star Squadron number forty-seven featuring you know one of my faves, Doctor Fate. And it's a great shot with, you know, Dr. Fate and Naboo and um, Inza and Wotan. Anyway, the cover is drawn by Todd McFarlane. He was oh. drawing All-Star Squadron at the time. And uh, actually, he was guy. he was drawing Infinity, Inc., actually, more so. But Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, kind of cool. Right. Whatever happened to that guy? Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went nowhere. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he turned into nothing. Um, so, anyway, so that is Who's Who? Book five. Wow. I'm exhausted. Great issue. And uh, next issue, folks, you know, we, we have wrapped up the C characters pretty much here. <laughs> next issue, we get into the Ds. That means it's time for 
Dr. Fate. Oh, I was going to say Dolphin, but okay. Right, well, ooh. I don't know. Is she making the next issue? I uh, hope so. I think so, yeah. That, that issue changed my life. That, that appearance changed my life. Um, <laughs> I became a man. I did, yes. I will say that just for... You guys might get a kick out of uh, Rob and I were communicating earlier this week about this episode and getting ready for it. And turns out, because this accursed Roman numerals on the front, I accidentally grabbed the wrong issue. Not that I can't read Roman numerals. It just was out of order in my stack, and I grabbed it without thinking. And I, had, I prepared for a whole week for the wrong issue of Who's Who until, thankfully, Rob and I had a you – know, I was all ready to talk about Dr. Fate. <laughs> what are you talking about? We still got the season. We still have right, a exactly. trying to cover. Thankfully, Rob uh, pointed out which issue we were actually doing, or this podcast would have been a bit more of a train wreck than it actually was. So. <laughs> as usual. Um, as always, said, we're going to zip right into the feedback. Um, we got, for some reason, this show, the last one, number four, really seemed to like break through because we got a ton more attention for this than we normally did. Um, as we mentioned earlier, we got something from a comic book legend, but we'll get to that shortly. And I want to say thank you to the listeners. I mean, it's it's, oh, it's yeah. because of you guys that we broke through. You guys helped promote the show. You guys talked about the show. Um, I think you guys are enjoying the show. So uh, thank you for all the shout-outs you've done. We're going to try and touch on and at least mention everyone. Now, we may not be able to read everybody's specific feedback, but we're going to at least get to mention everyone. Uh, you guys were absolutely great, and thank you so much for your support of the show. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so the feedback-wise, we're going to start with Earth 2 Chris, who wrote in a comment from the Aquaman Shrine. He wrote, um, uh, I mentioned uh, in the previous show that I knew Irv Novik mostly as an inker. I don't know why I said that, because he's not. He was a penciler, and I knew that when I said it. I don't know why that came out like that. I have no idea. So anyway. It's one of, it's one of those lies you were trying to build. Yes, I guess so. Um, anyway, Earth 2 Chris points out, Irv Novik was prim- primarily known as a penciler and did indeed work on the Archie superheroes in the Golden Age. He was the co-creator of The Shield, the first patriotic superhero, even predating Captain America. He worked uh, on DCS. Shield, Shield predated Captain America? Yeah, I guess so. Wow. Uh, he worked on DC's war titles in the 50s and 60s, and by the late 60s, he became one of the primary Batman artists, drawing the character up until the 80s. He had also long run The Flash as well. The Dave Stevens' Catwoman entry may be the best entry in the entire series. Poor Brent Anderson's Catwoman didn't have a chance against this master of the female form. Anderson was an odd choice for Catwoman, as she had been a regular in the Batman books at the time, and any of the then-current or recent artists would have made more sense. Anderson also did Batgirl entry in number two. The Earth One, Earth One Catwoman on her early post-crisis equivalent would get another shot in an equally sexy pinup in the first Who's Who update drawn by none other than Alan Davis. Me freaking ow. <laughs> well, <laughs> I like that you spelled that out. Yes. Well, well said, Chris. Um, he goes on to say some other things about the cadre, and uh, he was made them perfect for random vim- villain pummeling on Justice League Unlimited, where they appeared at least once. <laughs> and I'm glad he mentioned that. That's something we had forgot. Yeah, they they, came, they showed up on Justice League Unlimited, an animated series. That's a big deal. They could uh, get action figures. They but they won't. Um, <laughs> we got a comment from Tim on the Aquaman Shrine. Made it about halfway through the show on my way to and from work. Great so far. Well worth the wait. Hopefully you won't keep us waiting this long again. The answer to that is no. <laughs> so. Uh, we got a email from little Russell Burbage from Sacramento, California. He wrote, uh, Frank beat me too, but I was going to come in at Irv Novik too. He was the artist on Flash of Heaven. Yes, I got Irv Novik wrong. Everybody stop picking on me. I made a mistake. Well, I like I'm how, sorry. I like that Russell um, accidentally called uh, Earth 2 Chris Frank. Yeah. So it, it, it is catching. Everyone's Everybody calls call- people Frank. Frank's- Everyone's getting called Frank. <laughs> people, call people, people just want to call things Frank. Um, it's like it's like Craig. Craig's a thing, and uh, now Frank is. There you go. We got another. The shrine got another email from someone named, known as the Toy Room, who gives us an extensive history of the calculator, which is not necessary at all. 
Wait a minute. No, whoa, 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 whoa. You say that, but it's very impressive that he has all these facts at his disposal. He, he does. It is impressive in a certain way, but you know. Um, It'd be nice to the toy room. I, w- I will. Because okay. the, ne- the next comment's important. Okay. <laughs> the calendar man uniform drawn in the century was by, by Pat Berwick was designed by Walt Simonson when he illustrated Batman number 312. And we said it, it kind of looked like a Walt Simonson costume. And we? We? Oh, no, did. sir. All right. Me. I said, you know, it looks like a Walt Simonson design costume. Right. Um, and he also corrects me on Camelot 3000. I did a lot of mistakes in the previous episode. Uh, you were Sir, drinking. Yeah, I guess. Sir Tristan was actually in love with Tom Prentice, or actually Tom had interest in Tristan, who had interest in the reincarnated Isolde. Lancelot was involved in his own love triangle with King Arthur and Queen Guinevere. Of course, I don't know why. I, I just blanked on that. He also points out that Captain Adipose by Dennis Coundrick Magnier is a direct swipe from one by Steve Ditko. Almost makes me wonder why they didn't get Ditko to do the artwork himself if they weren't going to change anything. Like I said, I think we probably have something to do with Ditko being sort of an irascible guy. And, and a lot, as you'll see, as you'll hear, a lot of people caught that—that that the the, the direct swipe. We just thought it was a, a nod to him, but yeah, there's right, right. So thank you guys. And he also points out the artists on the two cheetahs, Trina Robinson and Steve Leolola, are actually a couple. So it's even more interesting in the fact that they were obviously aware of what the other was doing, which probably explains why the characters are facing up against each other. I didn't know that. I didn't know that they were a couple. That's that's awesome. really cool. That's yeah, really that's... neat. I think that was great. I, I want to mention two other things he said because this is a this one, first one's a reoccurring theme. Also, we we'll hear from folks when we talked about Captain Carrot and his name's Roger Rabbit. I had said something to the effect of, "I wonder if they had to worry about his name with the movie." And uh, he said he talks about here. Um, he remembers reading something about at one point where they did change his name to um, Roger, Roger Rodney Rabbit, but he couldn't remember exactly why. And there's there's going to be a lot of discussion about that throughout our comments. He also pointed out we talked about Captain Comet quite a bit. And uh, we completely forgot to mention he was the main hero in the Secret Society of Supervillains in the yes, 70s. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Which was sort of like a big miniseries. It was an ongoing series, but it was like a big miniseries because it was just one long story, basically. Okay. That's sort of fair. Yeah. Um, I wish they – didn't. did they ever do that as a showcase or did they only do that as the no, color? I think they did. I think they did. Okay. I've, I've often wanted to read this. I've read an issue or two, and it was always really engaging. Mm-hmm. So uh, Then we heard from Ryan Daly, our buddy Count Druncula who also has his own blog, The Black Canary, Flowers and Fishnets. You guys need to check that out. That's yeah, a good uh, blog. That's fun. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, he put a comment over in Firestorm Fan. He says, nobody talks for two hours about characters I mostly don't care about better than Robin Shag. <laughs> Which I followed up with. Uh, I quoted that, and I said, now that's a pull quote. Right. When we bind all of these podcasts into one that's going on the back of the book. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, he said that we piqued our, his interest in Camelot 3000, so much he's added to his Amazon wish list. And... Um, he thanked us for pointing out the Dave Stevens Catwoman because it's absolutely amazing. Sure and Frank, uh, he, he follows up a comment you haven't heard yet, but we'll get to about Frank where he talks about um, the cheetahs and how uh, they, they probably didn't push the right cheetahs in their opinion. Right. Because there's a lot of them. So. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Then uh, I guess this next comment is for you. Yes, we got Frank. the Sphinx Magoo. Great character. I think if he was, what a, if he was an animated, had his own animated series in the 60s. Um, <laughs> he has even more, he has more information about Calendar Man. A lot of it. I remember being disappointed this was the only one ever displayed, and the other days of the week designs were excluded. The cover here, he gives us a link showing the calendar man's other costumes representing the other six days of the week. So I, I just. I was to design seven costumes just, character. That's so awesome. Yeah, it is, but I, I just can't talk anymore about calendar man. I just can't. But, I'm sorry. But thank you, Sphinx Magoo, for yes, sharing that information. Absolutely. Our passion for the character does not reflect our appreciation for what you shared with us. There you go. 
We got an email from Daniel Cynical Adams, com- half composer of our theme song. Uh, in response to the Toy Room's guest, great post, the movie we talk about, Roger Rabbit, may not have premiered until 1988, but the novel, who censored Roger Rabbit, was published in 1981. Disney purchased the rights to the book shortly thereafter. Robert Zemeckis seized the opportunity to direct it and was hired a year later, but Disney, less than impressed with his box office track record at that point, relieved him of the project. The mouse decided to take another swing at it later on, once Eisner took over the company. Spielberg's Amble Entertainment was brought in to produce, and the wheel started turning for real. Want to guess what year that was? 1985. So perhaps there was a connection after all. I'm psychic. And he mentions uh, Ashton Burge. When, when the new uh, Who's Who podcast hit, he mentioned Ashton Burge will be so proud. That is his other partner uh, in other Batman. Partner, his partner. Sorry, his partner in the Batman Pajamas, who is the other co-conspirator with our theme songs. Our great, so. awesome theme songs. And thank you, Dano, Daniel Cynical Adams, for um, trying to support Captain Marvel over on Facebook just specifically to make me mad. Thanks so much. Uh, then we heard from our good buddy Diablo Frank. All right, strap in, everybody. For his <laughs> responsible for a, the, probably the largest uh, collection of blogs on the internet, I think. Um, Idol Head of Diablo, which is a Martian Manhunter blog, the Justice League Detroit blog, the Power of the Atom blog, Diana Prince is the new Wonder Woman blog, DC Bloodlines, and finally Nerg. Uh, over on Firestorm Fan, he left us, he gets all the way from A to O. So I'm going to just kind of touch on some of these. Oh. Uh, he refers to the cadre as the vibe of supervillain teams, instantly dated and hilariously misguided notions. So um, he then goes on to mention some of the other less than stellar uh, villains that fought Justice League Detroit. Because I tried to stand up and go, no, Justice League Detroit had other villains. Yeah, I was wrong. Um, he did point out, though, I had said that Judgment Day, when Overmaster came back, was the end of the Justice League franchise. I was wrong. Um, and that hurts to say that. I don't say it often. So uh, It was actually just the last... A reshuffling of stuff uh, ahead of Zero Hour, but it was well before Morrison's relaunch. Basically, what it did was it led to Extreme Justice. It led to Justice League Task Force getting realigned to being the, the young heroes. Um, this was just before Zero Hour is what they did. And then um, it was right before Wonder Woman took over leading the Justice League America. And that's when you get wonderful additions to the Justice League franchise like the Yaz. You know, everyone knows the Yaz. Talks a little bit about House of Mystery, how it was uh, sort of a lukewarm version of the EC Comics. Um, talks about how Calculator was a big deal after Identity Crisis, but that it just didn't uh, didn't take. <laughs> Who knew so, there was so much Calculator love out there? Right, and he's just mad. I mean, he's mad in general because he goes on to say that Martian Manhunter really did not get any love in Who's Who, and he's he's bitter about that. In fact, uh, I'll jump ahead a bit. He actually did a post on his website, uh, the Idol Head of Diablo. You can find that at idol-head.blogspot.com, where not only did he promote our webcast, our, our podcast, Who's Who podcast, which we greatly appreciate, he then also provided all the characters he would have included himself <laughs> in this issue of Who's Who that are Marsh Manhunter related, this which list, is great. This list doubles as a cry for help. <laughs> but I think that that's awesome. I mean, that's really, really cool contribution. So I'm glad he did that. So, um, Gosh, there's a lot here. Uh, apparently, I should not say Frank's yelling at his iPod because he's never listened to on it before. He always listens to it on his computer. So from now on, I'll say Frank's yelling at his computer. So uh, he does talk about Captain Adam, um, how as in a, you know, he first came to the character through the Bates and Broderick post-crisis redo, but eventually he found out that Gil and Ditko's was more valuable. So uh, he also liked the idea of Captain Boomerang throwing himself. <laughs> 
All right, here we go. This is sort of some of his origin story. He says, this is probably the first issue of Who's Who I ever saw, because I specifically remember reading the comic Captain Comet entry at Walden Books and seeing the special notation of him being the first mutant. As a Marvel reader, that really stood out for me. But the book's overall silliness in comparison to the Marvel's handbook was off-putting. I never forgot Adam Blank, Adam Blank. Blake, though, and I remain a fan. He became sort of a stealth Captain America, as he was always a man out of his own time, through either the evolutionary quirk or his lengthy trips into outer space that saw him miss most of the Silver Age. I love his power set, his curious place in history, and his ability to infiltrate the secret society of supervillains because of both. Comet is one of DC's great untapped resources of the Bronze and post-Zero Hour periods, but the New 52, the new 52 has rendered that moot. Oof. Uh, he goes on and talks about my dislike for uh, Silver Age Captain Marvel. He talks about the uh, Catman. He sort of reiterates what we said. Catman would mean nothing today if it weren't for that Art Adams drawing. He also mentions the Who Censored Roger Rabbit book, which I've never even heard of until I started compiling this, uh, this feedback for people, by the way. Uh, Gary K. Wolf wrote it, and it came out a year before Captain Carrot. So, um, interesting stuff. So, And... Wow. Okay, he says, another thing I hate about the New 52 is that Barbara Minerva is in it. Priscilla Rich was the Golden Age cheetah who turned up in the Silver Age. Deborah Domain was the Bronze Age legacy. Barbara Minerva took over in the late 80s. Where's our new modern cheetah? Minerva wasn't that great, you know. So, you know, basically he's kind of saying that Priscilla Rich was kind of a pretty cool one. I think the one from Super Friends was based on her. But anyway, and he says he always dug Cheshire, that crazy bee. So... All right, Sean Corey uh, gave us some very nice comments over on Firestorm Fan and on Facebook and uh, on his own site, the Captain Carrots Burrow blog, at blogspot.com. You need to go check that out, Captain Carrots Burrow. It's a really fun blog about Captain Carrot. Thank you for all that, Sean. Really appreciate it. Uh, Luke Giaconetti uh, came through talking about, also talked about Captain Comet. This is over on Firestorm Fan and talked about his more recent stuff in the post-Infinite Crisis appearances. And he also mentioned Captain Fear. A new version showed up in The Outsiders, the Dan DiDio, Philip Tan book recently. And also pointed out that Captain Marvel also became Shazam before the New 52 in that um, horrible Trials of Shazam miniseries. By the way, horrible is what I said, not him. So, And uh, he likes Rob's line of Captain Noe's Nazi was, quote, pointing his finger like a Nazi would. <laughs> I don't even know why he said that, but it just came out. And, uh, I like how I, I didn't realize this, but he said Captain Storm was sort of thematically tied to Captain Ahab, you know, hunting down his prey obsessively. I thought that was kind of cool. So, and he also liked the new Fifty Two Towers in the Unknown, like I did. So, uh, oh, he went on. I'm sorry. Gives a lot more information. Um, talks about how he likes Cheshire, uh, the way she looked in the Teen Titans cartoon. Uh, he talked about how Doom Patrol kind of back and forth about how Doom Patrol could have been more successful than the X-Men, just kind of turn of fate, made it go the other way. He also likes Chris, uh, Rob's phrase, Chris KL99, home of the hits. <laughs> so a lot of great stuff. He also uh, helped us retweet on Twitter. Thank you. Siskoid, who's uh, the king of Siskoid's blog at Geekery, uh, he did a, an amazing post called My Tawdry Love Affair with Who's Who that's great. over on his blog. So that's siskoid.blogspot.ca. you got to check that out. It, it gives sort of his history with Who's Who. But he gives us a shout-out, which is really nice. We appreciate that. One of the things he points out that uh, we were not aware of, Challenger's Mountain is an odd one because it's actually a reprint. It, it, the original appeared in Challengers of the Unknown, number 87, in 1978. So they recycled. I didn't know that. That was amazing. Yeah. 
And he thinks he spotted an entry, a, a mistake in the Chameleon Boy entry. The text says Carl Keezer's the Inkle, Inker, but Larry Monst, Malstead signed the piece. So could be something there. Siskoid is also a, a long, long-time long fan of Who's Who and uh, probably challenges us for uh, – probably knows more than us, actually. So heard from Lee Novak over on Twitter and on Firestorm Fan. He was nice enough to point out that the calculator did appear recently more, in the DC More about the calculator. <laughs> he appears recently in the DC Universe online game. So he's, he is multimedia, that guy. Heard from Philip Embry, also goes by Five Ball. Um, he, he mentioned, didn't Captain Carrot recently appear in the New 52? And I think he's right. I think he did. Uh, he liked Captain Carrot in the more recent Mystery in Space series. Captain Comet. So, you're saying Captain whoops. Carrot. I am saying, there's too many darn captains. I was like, wow, Captain, Captain Carrot's in the New 52? That's amazing. <laughs> He sort of is, but we'll let Sean tell us about that someday. But uh, I'm sorry, Captain Comet appeared in Mystery in Space. Um, he says he loves our podcast, and he made him made us made him we made him go out and buy Camelot 3000. Thank you for That's that. That's good, and then it's all been worth it. Now here's here's one from Carlos Mucha. Now I've got to read this because I really like that he actually shares with us his history with. Who's Who, and this is, this is the kind of stuff I love, folks. So please send us in how you found Who's Who. He wrote, Confession Time. I used to collect DC comic book editions from Spain that arrived to Argentina. Spain did not publish Who's Who comics, but they did put the individual pages from all of, in, in different books of their collection. For example, in Superboy, Superman, if Superboy appeared, they put the Superboy Who's Who page in there. His confession is that in all those classic years with photocopy machines, he used to go to the store, photocopy page by page for the <laughs> unlimited number of different comic books to create a folder full of these who's who That pages. is commitment. That is awesome. Imagine when he discovered that in the United States, all those amazing files actually came together in comic books. He buy the uh, whole collection immediately. So that's, that's a great origin that story. That is amazing. Love that. Um, we got an email from Mike Gillis regarding Captain Nazi is a bad guy. Uh, I had to tell you when you brought up Captain Nazi, I had to uh, mention this. The mention of the character flashed back to me, something I experienced working at a chain bookstore a couple of years back. While shelving our store's graphic novel section, I overheard a girl talking to herself while flipping through the DC Universe encyclopedia with great interest. She uttered to herself might be the funny sentence I've ever heard another human being say, Oh, Captain Nazi is a bad guy. I quickly fed before I started to laugh hysterically. Keep up the great work, guys, Mike Gillis. Yes. I thought that was inherent in the name, Nazi. That he was the best. See, I see. I read it a different way. I read it as, "Ooh, Captain Nazi is a bad oh, guy." Oh, she was like in love with a bad boy. Interesting. Okay. So I don't know which one. She goes to see the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. She's rooting for the Nazis to kill. Him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he gave us some uh, shout-outs over on Facebook and Twitter. So thank you for that. And uh, he and Rob and Mike went back and forth talking about Captain Marvel and ended up in a Jinx uh, yeah. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten moment. <laughs> uh, we got an email from Sean Brock who is a regular visitor to the Aquaman Shrine. Um, he lets us know how much he's enjoying the Who's Who podcast. You asked for memories of when we discovered the series. I remember going to the local drugstore, Northside D, or Northside Drugs. He put a weird space there with the D in the rugs. When I was uh, probably a sophomore in high school and seeing issue two on the spin rack. Oh, spin racks. I had no idea DC was doing this sort of thing, and it was totally hooked from issue two on. Somehow I had missed issue one, which had my favorite hero in it, Aquaman, of course, and I spent months trying to find the elusive number one. So he's got a couple of comments. Of course, he mentions Calendar Man because everybody can't help but mention Calendar Man. <laughs> Camel 3000. I recently picked up the trade of this series. Look at this. Look at the boom of sales for Camel 3. I think if DC notices a spike in the trade sales, they can directly relate it to us. Yep. Captain Storm. Like Rob, I always loved how his legs being shut up in this image. I never read anything he was in, but I always knew he was a badass. 
<laughs> down this mountain. I never thought about it as a playset before, but that's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. We appreciate that. He's also known on Occam Shrine. He comments as Oren's dad because his son is actually named Oren. That is awesome. That is, I yeah, love that. That is commitment to being a fan of Aquaman. Uh, Michael Bailey, who does his own Superman podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, <clears throat> he mentioned us over on Facebook uh, a couple times and uh, gave us some support on Twitter. And uh, also, he's running his own series uh, of Who's Who classic uh, – he's doing scans of the Who's Who's pages. So he's doing some of those over on his own blog at Fortress of Bailey 2. So you can find that at FortressofBailey2.com. we got an email from Justin Frieden. He wanted to send us a quick message thanking us for the stellar work. He's really enjoying it, and he learned something uh, chuckling all the while. Pretty much just did all of Rob's mistakes, I assume. But anyway, uh, he, he went on here, and this is what I mentioned about Chlorophyll Kid and Color, uh, color Kid, Color Lad, whatever his name was. Color Kid. Okay. He said, on the subject of humor, I respectfully disagree with your statement that Chlorophyll Kid was created as a joke character. It's true that the substitute Legionnaires were presented as bumbling losers in DC Comics Presents number 59 and Legion as substitute heroes special. However, for the first 20 years of their existence, Chlorophyll Kid and the other subs were written like legitimate heroes. For as long as possible, they acted in secret so they wouldn't steal any glory from the real Legion. Although the subs were actually, uh, I'm sorry, Acutely aware of their own limitations, they chose to fight the good fight wherever and however they could, rescuing the Legion on more than one occasion. During the Great, da- great da- Darkness Saga, they even faced off against a horde of mind-controlled Daxamites. God, I wouldn't want to do that. Imagine taking on an army of supermen with nothing but the power to accelerate plant growth or change an object's color. Um, talk, to, talk about textbook heroism or insanity. So, um, so he and I went on back and forth a little bit about that, and uh, yeah. That's a very good point about Chlorophyll Kid and Color Kid. So, yeah. I think I, I think I probably meant more in their modern incarnation. They're meant as jokes, but he's, of course, right. They were not introduced as jokes. They yes, were. but at but this point in history, where we were with Who's Who, uh, they were. So, um, we're right, you're wrong. So, um, you're rubber, uh, or you're glue, I'm rubber. Uh, I screwed I'm, that up. I'm color, I'm color, whatever. Yeah, oh, God, the poor attempt at a joke. Okay, sorry. Um, Thank you, Justin, for the letter. Roger Preeb sent us a couple comments over on Facebook supporting the show. Thank you so much. Um, he said, way to throw Frank under the bus. Laugh out loud. <laughs> That's what you get when you become a devoted fan of the show. The beauty of all this is that Frank doesn't, isn't on Facebook, so he doesn't know all these people. There's an outpouring of support for Frank on Facebook. I believe there's the uh, Frank support page. <laughs> Probably. Roger just did a four-hour video interview with Jerry Conway by the way. That's a by long the interview. And I'm... Horribly jealous. Uh, Luke Dobb also comes to Frank's defense on Facebook. Poor Frank. I admit I was unprepared for his first visit to the Fire and Water podcast. Since then, I this is Luke Dobb, by the way. Since then, I have come to find his listener feedback a staple part of the show. Please bring Frank back to guest host the Martian Manhunter issue of Who's Who. See, look, now we've got them begging to bring Frank back yep. now. My, my plan and, worked. And Daniel Cynical Adams also concurred with that statement. There you go. It's, it worked. A double secret reverse psychology. <laughs> Luke, continue to promote us on uh, Facebook and Twitter, so thank you so much for that. Uh, did I say Frank? I think, I, think I did. God, it is a sickness. Uh, Luke Dobb, continue to promote us on Facebook and Twitter, and we really appreciate that. Thanks so much. Uh, we got a Facebook comment from Hector Negrete. Great show as usual, guys. Thanks for the mention of the Norm Briefogel interview we did for La Cueva del Nerd. It really means a lot. As for the letter C, I declared myself a fan of Captain Carrot. <laughs> he also uh, gave a shout-out on Twitter. Thank you very much, Hector. Devoted fan. We appreciate it. Yes. Jason Jones from the FKA podcast says uh, on Facebook, this is hands down my f- most favorite podcast right Woo! now. 
Appreciate that. Thank you. And, uh, and, and then we got some support from the FKA podcast over on Twitter. So we really appreciate that. Scott Allen, uh, when he heard about the Who's Who podcast, he said, this is such a great idea. This is on Facebook. I'm waiting to listen to all these until I can curl up with my set in front of me. Oscar Oled uh, asked, how long until the Who's Who two hours uh, – <laughs> the two-hour Who's Who Slipknot special. Well, when we get to that book, we have to do a whole thing just on Slipknot. When we get to there, that there's, issue. There's some irony when we get to it too, folks. Um, and then he went on. He, he kind of gave us sort of an idea, like uh, an idea Jeff Johns could do, a challenge for him to give Slipknot Wonder Woman's lasso, see what can happen. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good idea. That's a great idea. Uh, Giancarlo Nurko uh, wrote, that's an odd pose for Captain Adam there. Because uh, this is the one that we talked about was a, a, a Ditko swipe. And uh, we said, you know, we think Dennis Cohen's aiming for Ditko's kind of look. And he wrote, Ditko fabulous. <laughs> it cracked me up. Uh, Anthony Durso uh, is the one who pointed out, at least to us, gave us even gave us a link to specifically show where Dennis Cohen swiped that Ditko drawing of Captain Adam. Nice. Uh, we got an email from Andy Capellish, or a Twitter uh, a response from Andy Capellish. I love the newest Who's Who podcast. Way to save the best listener for last. <laughs> you came so close to being the last listener again, and, uh, just for that reason. He also gave us some support on Facebook. Yep, and we got uh, Tumblr support and Twitter support from Caffeinated Joe, uh, one of my favorite people in the world. So thanks for that, Joe. Over on Facebook, I'm just going to blaze through this list of folks that liked our different posts. Thank you. Uh, Stanley H. Brooks, Sean M. Myers, Wade Arrington, Vicky Gatanis, Keith G. Baker, Christopher J. Warden, Speed Force, Carlos Guillermez del Almedia. Dude, I, I, totally, I, I slaughtered that. I'm so sorry. Manjit Danjal. Maya Aquino, uh, Juan Carlos Sanchez, Wagner Oliveira, Joel Rivoria. God, man, I am awful. Uh, Giancarlo Nurka, we mentioned already, sorry. Michael Bradley, Abel Padilla, David Dixon, Kevin Culp, Chris Borf, and Chester Aguiar. All right. And also we received uh, some more support over on Tumblr by the J-Cave. It goes by Dark Knight J-R-K. Um, yeah, another big, big Twitter conversation we had today was we interacted with the Walt Simonson. He apparently listened, yeah, it was awesome. He apparently listened to the show, which was amazing. And he or at said, least at least a part with him. At least a part with him. And he wrote two notes regarding the podcast. I got into comics in 1972. I think I said that he got into it in 75, so it was off by a couple of years. And then his connection to Captain Fear. I drew a Captain Fear story published in 1980. Uh, which I didn't know. So I went and found those comics. It was a backup in The Unknown Soldier, and those are some great – that's a great story. Hey, guys, next time you're in a comic <clears throat> shop or you're in a you're – you're in a um, – at a con, find Unknown Soldier numbers 254 to 256 and read those. They are worth the price of admission, just those stories. They're written by David Michelini who wrote Aquaman Ooh, and so. drawn by – Walt, they are amazing stuff. So thank you, Mr. Simonson, for listening, and thank you for the correction. We appreciate it. So I hope you listen to future episodes. He put a little G in brackets. I mean, I assume that means grin. So I, I, hope, I yes. Oh, so hopefully he's not mad at us because no, I wouldn't I don't want think, that. I don't, mad I don't think he is. I don't think he is. <laughs> it's great, but really, that Captain Fear thing he did in, with uh, in the Unknown Soldier, great stuff. Um, we got another. We have more Twitter support from Greg uh, Arujo. Uh, listening to Who's Who podcast as I stand in line waiting to cast my early vote. That warms my heart. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> Greg Greg has been a great supporter of the show, and he's written in with lots of tidbits of information in previous shows. So we, Greg's a, we love Greg. Yep. And we also got Twitter comments from Tony D and Flodo Span, who, as I believe, is a member of the Legion of Superheroes. No, uh, I think it's Green Lantern Corps. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And we also got comments from uh, Twitter support from Michael C., Alexander Adrock, 
Philemon, Alan Middleston, a.k.a. Professor Alan, Charlton Hero, Adjectiveless Ivy, <laughs> like that <laughs> name, Jim, Ad Jim and Jim Finity, Mr. Oddity, Barry Reese, Donald Miller, all new, all new sucks, <laughs> Joe Slab, a lady Fox, Jerome, Jerome Liaison, David Kent, Captain America, which is great, Speed Force, Matt Santori Griffith, Randy Caldwell, and Retcon. So That's awesome. Thanks, guys. We appreciate that. Like I said, this episode really burst. I think number four really sort of broke through more than the other three had. So I'm, I'm, I don't know why that happened necessarily. Maybe it was Walt Simonson's comment, but we really appreciate because we really enjoyed doing these shows, and it was great to get so much positive feedback from it. It was Captain Carrot. It was all about Captain no, it was Carrot. All Captain, and Calendar Man, of course. Right. And Calendar Man. Right. Exactly. And Calculator. Um, now, folks, we are going to award two of the prestigious Yellow Dot Awards. These are two listeners that um, we feel like just really contributed this time. Um, not that everyone didn't, but we just selected two listeners that in their feedback really helped you know, uh, elaborate on the show, provide a lot of good information. The Yellow Dot, by the way, if you've ever looked inside a Who's Who issue, is in reference to the background behind the images, there's this pattern of yellow dots that start at the bottom and work their way to the top. And it's supposed to represent the color process used in comic books. And so uh, we call it the Yellow Dot Award. And this time we're going to award two to Earth 2 Chris. Yay! As, yay, Earth 2 Chris, who we mentioned gave us a lot of great information about Herb Novak, um, about Earth 1 Catwoman. It just shares a lot of... He's, he's historically given us a lot of great follow-up information after Who's Who episode. Basically tells us where we mess up. And also to the Toy Room, who also gave us a lot of really great information about uh, various characters that we might have missed on, on the show. So, again, that's not to say uh, other people's comments weren't worthwhile. Actually, everybody's comments are appreciated. Everyone's yes, comments were great. Absolutely. Um, we just These are two winners this time. There'll be different winners next time. So. Now, Rob, why don't you tell folks uh, where you can, they can find that Tumblr site? Because as Rob said, we're going to post somewhere between 8 to 10 uh, images from this issue of Who's Who up on Tumblr for your enjoyment so you can get a, get a quick glance at it if you're a comic, if you don't own the issues or if they're buried in the bottom of a box. This way you can enjoy a few of them. All right. It's uh, fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. There we go. And you can write us an email at firewaterpodcast.comcast.net. Perfect. You can find me over at firestormfan.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and Tumblr, all under the same. And you can find Aquaman Shrine at aquamanshrine.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and every once in a couple of months, Google+. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Thank you so much for listening to the Who's Who podcast. And uh, we'll see you hopefully in about a month. Hopefully. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Dietrich and Arizia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh man, we forgot Slipknot.